How's it going, everybody? Thanks for tuning in to this episode. On this one, I'm going to be calling Andy May. This call actually took place way back in the early spring or maybe late March sometime. And I've been saving it for a while because I feel like a lot of the stuff that we talked about in that podcast is applicable to this time of the year. So I think you can learn a lot from this because if you're not familiar with Andy May, he's a hunter from Michigan. He also travels quite a bit to hunt, but like a lot of us, he's really busy and hunts on limited time. So he really tries to focus on being efficient. And he often talks about how he ends up spending more time scouting than actually hunting. I always learn a lot from him and feel really lucky that he comes on as a guest. Before we get into the podcast, though, I wanted to remind you guys that we have partnered with the social media platform Go Wild to combat mainstream social media censorship. Go Wild is a free social community where your photos are not censored. They're actually encouraged, and Go Wild gives you points for things like sharing trophies, doing gear reviews, and inviting friends. And as you earn points, you unlock awesome rewards too, such as gift cards, free swag, knives, huge discounts, and if you create a free account, you can unlock $10 just for trying it out. You can click the link in the description of this podcast to download Go Wild. Also, go check out thehuntingpublic.com. We've got everything from hats, t-shirts, hoodies, to a bunch of camo and hunting gear that we use all the time when we're out in the field. All right, guys, let's talk with Andy. So what's up, man? Oh, nothing. Nothing. Uh, just um, got done doing a little scouting. Um, had to work, and then I did a got the woods for couple hours after work and uh just got home nice so how's the doing uh i mean better you know about about as good as i could hope for i think um yeah you know it's just one of those deals where you're like chipping away at it every day a little bit and i'm feeling better mm-hmm. um definitely feeling better now than the first two weeks like first two weeks after surgery were brutal and uh, do, do you know Josh Elderton at all? Yeah. So yep. he had knee surgery, uh, I don't know, a year or two ago, and he was, like, talking to me about it, and he's like, be prepared for some, you know, serious pain. And I kind of was like, yeah, whatever. I mean, a little bit. And my mom also had ACL surgery, and I totally underestimated mm-hmm. it. I'll be honest. It was, it was rough, man. But once I got oh. through those first two weeks – you know, every day it's just a little bit better. I'm doing like a 90 degree squat at this point. So that's pretty good. Um, can walk, Yeah. you know, go for walks and stuff. So chipping away day by day. Yeah. I think what I want to talk about is like going to be more. <sighs> I just want to talk about details of as many things as possible. And just I want to hear about the details of what you're thinking about this season, past seasons, I want to hear stories and just, I really want to dive into detail because I feel like if we don't, we'll just kind of get caught up in that, uh, just kind of same old, same old type of conversation, you know, you know, setting up on Mm -hmm. sign or whatever, but more specific and more detail, I feel like is always a fun thing. And any way that you see, we can go down that route throughout the conversation, feel free to just head that way i mean i guess in more detail is how i learn so i feel like the more mm-hmm. we can talk about that the better so 
Okay. Yeah, we can give it a try. I'm just recording, so we'll just kind of let her rip if you're cool with it. You got if you unless you have any questions or anything. No, no, I'm ready to go. It sounds good. I'm pretty laid, you know, pretty laid back. I like having fun, so just want to have fun and learn <laughs> from you. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, all right. All right. So, I guess the first thing, since you said you're out scouting today, what were you out doing mm-hmm. today specifically here on April 18th? Yeah. So, um, today, um, there's a spot that's not far from my work. Um, it's a, a little permitted spot. Um, so part of the, the thing I try to do around home in Michigan, um, I actually commute quite a bit from, from home to work to my daughter's school. Like everything is like really far away from each other and in the total opposite directions. So I've tried to, because my time is, is, is pretty limited these days just because of her age and, and her activities and stuff. I try to find places to hunt kind of in those routes, you know, so that I am able to get out after work or, you know, don't have to drive three, four hours, um, you know, on a weekend or something like that. Um, it helps me, it helps me be able to get out like during the week or sometimes in the morning. And I'm kind of sacrificing, um, in some circumstances, some good hunting by doing that, but it allows me to get out. So, um, between some different public pieces, some walking ground and some, and some knock on door permission stuff, I kind of have like, you know, a string of different properties that I routinely go to routinely scout, um, and check out. So this particular one is a permission piece. Um, this little lady gave me permission to hunt behind her spot. And it's just a, it's a very small, narrow piece of private ground. And it butts up to a, a big um, piece of ground that's owned by the city that doesn't allow any hunting. So it's it's kind of an interesting potential. I've never hunted it. Mm-hmm. Um, but last year I got permission and I popped it. I made a big mock scrape out there because it's, it's one of those properties where like, yeah, they could pass through. But there's nothing, there's no real bedding area on there. There's nothing that's a big draw. I mean, it is just a couple acres straight, like rectangle. So I made this really big mock scrape and I put a camera on it and just let it soak the whole season. And, uh, man, it, it, it heated up with buck activity, like right around, uh, actually there were some deer in the early season, some two, two year old bucks, you know, decent bucks. And then, um, right around that mid to late October, early November timeframe, that scrape started to get hit pretty good. And, you know, there were some good looking deer in there. So, um, I was like, man, this, this could be a, a potential cool spot. And, you know, you can't like, it, it's not like a, an area that's nowhere near big enough to put like a little food plot in and you can't bait. So I'm, I'm trying to, I've tried to create some sort of like little destination where maybe I just might be able to get a shot at a, at a deer in the area. So it's a little um, different than what I'm used to hunting, but I've hunted some really small pieces of ground before too. So I'm kind of experimenting with that. I've had the mock scrape stuff in the past, but not really like using it in that way. You know, like I'm going to try to shoot one right here, but that's really my only option. So I'm kind of interested to see 
you know, how it pans out. Cause if I would have hunted it last year, I would have had, you know, multiple opportunities at bucks, nothing big and mature, but there was a solid three-year-old buck in there, probably 125 inches, you know? So I went in there and I, um, kind of found a little access route where I can get in real quiet. And I, I found a tree, did a little trimming and whatnot. So, I mean, it's, it's literally, you sneak in, you get up in this one tree and your shot is like right there. And you know, if it doesn't happen there, it doesn't happen at all. So it, it'll be, it'll be an interesting little experiment. <laughs> yeah. I think it's cool that it's a small piece and you don't have a lot of options for it. So you're taking what you can get. I think about that a lot for hunting small properties and it's something that I don't get to really mess around with much. I did a little bit more when I was younger in uh, the area that I grew up in, but it's something that, you know, I feel like there's this bit of me that's always like, you're always going to want more experiences. And like, while I love hunting public land and hunting big areas, there is something fascinating about playing your cards a little bit differently on those smaller properties. So I think that's cool and something that, um, there's just a lot to learn from that for me, just because I don't really hunt those types of areas. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I haven't done a lot on this. I mean, it is, it's small. It's only a couple acres. Um, but I know guys out there that do well, you know, working those little, those little small parcels. So it's not entirely foreign to me. Um, but the way this, the way I've set this up and the way I'm going to hunt it is, is pretty unique to my style even. Um, so yeah, it's kind of interesting and something new and, you know, the more I see like successful guys and, and their different styles, like, you know, you, you know, um, in comparison to someone like me compared to like someone like Jared Scheffler or the seek one guys, like we're all so different, you know, and mm -hmm. it's, it's, kind of neat and you're like man i want to i want to try that just see what it's like and, and learn because it's yeah. different you know so yeah. it'll be interesting to to see if, if any one of those bucks um survived you know it could be some potential there along the lines of like finding small areas and just like having that efficiency of being able to check spots on the way home from work or you know sneak a morning hunt in or something when you're hunting close to home I've always thought if I could go back to high school days, college days, when I was spending more time uh, where in the house where I grew up, one thing that I would change is I would just ask permission on any potential spot possible. Like, just get as many places, even if I didn't think they were the best spot, because when I was 18 years old or younger, I wanted the best spot, and everything had to be super good. And I think that, mm. obviously everybody wants a good spot, but especially in like farm country where I was at at that time, I think there's so much, uh, that changes year to year with crops and pre hunting pressure. And there's so many variables that, you know, maybe there's not a buck in a spot for five, six years, but then all of a sudden there's that perfect storm of, you know, crops in one spot and a lack of pressure in that area. And all of a sudden that, you know, nothing but a cornfield and a fence row is the place where he's at. And I'm always curious, is that yeah. something that you kind of target a little bit or do you just have kind of yeah. your spots lined up that are, you know, more historical, I guess. It's, it's kind of a mix of everything. So, I mean, I, I, I literally 
I stretch across four different counties here in Michigan. So, I mean, there's there's big public pieces that I hunt. There's little tiny public pieces. There's permission ground that has, you know, eight, nine guys on it. There's a little spot like this, two acres where I'm the only guy. Um, it, it just really depends. But um, I, I feel like my efficiency around home, um, it, 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 I think it happens for a slightly different reason than my efficiency. Like when I travel, um, like when I travel, I rely a lot on like instinct and, and, you know, you're kind of on the fly and you're reading sign and you're observing and you're being super aggressive and almost trying to make something happen and trying to maximize your time in a short window. And I've been doing that so long traveling that I've, I've become, you know, pretty successful at it. Not every time, but, you know, I, I love that. I love just getting thrown into a, a new situation or a new type of habitat and, and you're learning on the fly and you're just letting those, you just let, you have no expectations and you don't know anything about the property. So everything is just like instinctual. You're just letting, you're kind of in tune with your instincts of just letting them go and just kind of letting them guide you. And uh, I've just fallen in love like with that feeling and that scenario. But then around home, I get a little bit of that, but the, 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 how I hunt or where I hunt, I am able to get out there and kind of be more in tune with what's going on real time. Not maybe not real time, but like I can walk ground at lunch. I can go glass before uh, work. I can go glass in the evening. I can go scout after work. So I'm I'm actually got boots on the ground and I'm reading sign. Maybe I'm checking a camera. Um, you know, I'm out there kind of with the deer. So I'm, I'm, I'm more in tune with what's happening there and now. So when I do find something, I find some vulnerability with a buck. I find some hot stuff that looks like it's a mature animal or, you know, I'm scouting just outside of a bedding area that I scouted in the spring and all of a sudden there's their big sign popping up. Now I know like, okay, now's the time. And it's a completely different type of efficiency. I actually hunt less like around home and I do a lot more scouting. And then when I travel, I'm obviously like, I'm kind of scouting and hunting as, you know, as I go, mm -hmm. but around here, um, for the most part, because, because time is limited and I don't get the vacation time, I'm doing a lot more scouting. And then when things kind of look good and I get that gut feeling like, you know, I get that gut feeling or I get that observation and I know it's like time. Then I like, I kind of push everything aside and it's like, okay, I'm going in for the kill. You know, I need a day or two or whatever. And if it doesn't happen, you know, I kind of just start the process all over. So it's more of, uh, I kind of, I, I, I tell my, my, I was talking to my buddy, Justin about this. Like when I travel, like if I, if like, let's say I travel in like October and I go somewhere and then I come back. I'm completely out of rhythm with what's going on at home, you know? And when I'm here at home and I'm not traveling, I'm in like, I, I'm, I'm in rhythm with what's going on in the, the woods and in the swamps and stuff because I'm out there and I'm checking and I'm walking edges and I'm reading the sign and I'm checking cameras and I'm glassing. It's like, I start to pick up on things or I see things. It's like, I get opportunities because I'm out there so much. So they're two different kind of styles that, you know, I just, that's the way I've hunted home and that's the way I've hunted it when I travel and I kind of, you know, work those two together the best I can. 
Yeah, I think it's cool to see a difference, and there's probably a lot of it, too, that helps play into when you have that limited time. You're like, okay, I know whether you're traveling or at home, you're like, okay, this is the type of thing that I need to, you know, pump the brakes and be like, I'm going to commit some time to it. I'm sure that all plays together a little bit. I think one question that I could see coming up a lot when a lot of people mention scouting and hunting and like it's it's a tough thing to explain when you're at home though and you're gonna go check an area what does scouting look like because I think for a lot of people it probably is like well I'm you know scouting means just getting in there looking at every little last detail but I'm assuming that's not what you're doing is going through every part of the property and and combing it you're probably going into kind of specific spots yeah so that can really depend like I do a lot of my like um, boots on the ground covering a lot of area like this time of year you know as soon as that even when the snow's in um, but like immediately after season through you know may you know into may kind of like in throughout turkey season and everything i'm out there scouting and that's when i'm really like trying to cover as many pieces as possible trying to cover as much ground as possible to just kind of get the lay of the land find where the bedding areas are find where i think deer might be traveling through what kind of food sources are in the area and kind of get that feel for it the areas that i'm you know, I'm always trying to add new stuff, but I'll go back to areas that I've hunted for years and years because I keep constantly picking up little things. Like I'll, you know, I could, a spot that I've hunted for 10, 15 years, sometimes I'll go and I'll just be like, gosh, that tree right there. Like, you know, they, they slip through here right alongside the road. And it's like, I never picked up on that, you know? So I'm, I, I like to revisit places that I've hunted often and then kind of like, during the season, my scouting changes a little bit. So I would say it's a combination of a lot of different things. So if it's more of an open type ground scenario where I can utilize glassing, maybe cover is really limited. I'll use that a lot, more long distance scouting, or maybe maybe I'll have a, a camera or something in there that I can go in and check kind of in a an area that's not too intrusive. But I try to just utilize my eyes because I have that advantage of open ground. And, you know, that might not mean from the road. It might mean getting up in a tree and being on the glass from that or, you know, going up over a hill and, and getting where you can see a low spot kind of along a creek bottom or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but as I get into more like wooded ground or even like swamp or marsh, then I'm usually going in there. A lot of times I'll have... I'll put cameras on like, you know, sometimes some edge, some transition edge. If there's an apple tree or something, I find creek crossings. I really like scrapes. Um, And I'll put those in spots that are very unintrusive just to kind of, I want to more and just know what deer are in there. Like what kind of activity is, is overall is going on in the area. And then I kind of rely on the scouting that I did before in the spring to really know where to dive into. So I do a lot of, I guess what I consider more perimeter scouting, you know, and in, in, in trying to get as accurate a picture as I can with, with what's going on inside, like who's in there, is he active, you know, are the tracks coming out 
um, you know, out of the marsh? Is the are the rub lines coming out? Is this scrape active? So I'll do a lot of little spot checks like that, and I might I might do that 10, 12 times and never get that feeling like this is this is hot. This is the spot, and I just keep going until I get that feeling, and that's that's why you hear me say, you know, I hunted. 20 times and, and killed five bucks, you know, it's because I'm so picky and choosy when I actually go in now, kind of conversely from that, I do this often a lot too. Sometimes I just, I get my bow and I'll go into a piece of ground, whether it's completely unfamiliar or very familiar. And I'll just kind of still hunt and scout through there. Um, Sometimes I don't have any idea what's going on. Sometimes I have somewhat of an idea, but I feel like, all right, I got to get in there and see into a more of a sensitive type area. I'm going to take my bow. I'm going to sneak in there. I'm going to still hunt. And I'm trying to read what's going on around me as I'm kind of slipping through. And, you know, I'm trying to spot deer. I'm trying to read sign that's maybe, you know, 50 yards, 80 yards ahead of me. And if I see something, I might sneak up there and I'm constantly glassing still hunting, stalking, you know, all of it. And sometimes I lay eyes on a buck, you know, sometimes I get, I bump into deer and I just slow down and I observe other times I find sign. And I'm like, man, I need to set up here. I feel like this is the spot. So it, there's, there's, that's three different ways that I kind of scout in season. And I do all of those routinely. Um, so all of them lead to opportunities. It's just, it just kind of depends on sometimes my mood. Yeah. <laughs> you know, my mood. sometimes I'm just like, I just want to get on the ground and I want to, I want to slip through. I call it like, you know, slip hunting. Like, like you're just kind of slipping around and you're just trying to be like one with the woods and you move when the wind blows and, or when there's some noise and you might, you know, you might take a few steps and you're doing a lot more glassing and observing than you are moving. And it's just kind of getting a feel for that that woods and working through there. So I, I love that type of hunting, but sometimes I feel like I'm pretty good. Like I've heard you say, like you get real impatient and you have trouble like sitting. Right. Yeah. So I'm really good at when I, when my, when my instincts tell me to stop and sit, yeah. I'm good at doing that, mm -hmm. you know? And if I get to a spot to say, you know, this is an all day spot, like whatever during the rut, I can sit, you know, dark to dark in, in one tree, like no problem. So I am good at kind of when my gut tells me to move or my gut tells me like, this is a spot I follow it. Mm -hmm. So that's why I, I, when I see you hunt, when I, when I hear you talk, um, it reminds me a lot of that way I mentioned that I, that I do like to hunt, mm -hmm. but I will often pick an ambush location that I think will work if the timing is right or, you know, the, that buck is in there or just the, the weather pattern is right, the wind is right. So it really just kind of goes to the best possible decision I can make at that moment. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times I'm just following my gut. You know, I really am. I just, I really listen to those, those instincts and just try to follow them. And they're not always right, but a lot of times they are. Yeah. I like that. I like what you said too, about when your gut tells you it's time to stop. Because I feel like I do it very few times throughout the season. But when I do, it's the same deal. It's like, all right, this is it. And a lot of times there's just something there 
that tells you what you need for the confidence to commit the time to doing that. I think that the reason that I keep moving so much, so many times, is I'm not getting some sort of really good confirmation that this is it. And I've mm-hmm. I've chose to not hunt with trail cameras, and it's something that I'm really um, happy with. But at the same time, there's a lot of times where I feel like, you know, that trail camera picture would be the confirmation. But when you find the spot mm-hmm. that has the sign that's just blitz there's scrapes there's rubs or maybe there's not even that there's a place that i hunted in ohio a few years ago where we just happened to catch a visual on a chase the day before and we moved up there and ended up i ended up messing up on that one it was i don't know if you've ever seen the video where i rattle with my buddy keith i rattle this buck that's cruising below us and my bow's behind me just one honestly one of those ones that i have to go back and watch and just feel the pain of every once in a while because i deserve it for that stupid mistake but (laughs) that that spot though really didn't have that much sign right in the spot where we were set up but around it there was more sign than anywhere else we had walked for days prior and then once we knew we wanted to hunt up on that ridge and in those creek bottoms around it it was like you know day in and day out and I have a lot of memories like that but they're all a little different you know sometimes it's like the visual sometimes it's you know a scrape sometimes it's some rubs but I think every time it's a little bit different and I'm curious like what are a couple stories or a your best story of hitting that sign or that moment where you're like, okay, this is it. And what details led you to have the confidence to commit time to that area? Well, let me think here. This is what I'm most excited about for those listening is I just want to hear the details. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's so many kind of that, you know, sometimes it it is, it's a lot of sign, like you said, and sometimes it's, it's not sign at all. It's more, it's more the, the, the connection between different areas that have signed, you know, like, um, for instance, my Ohio book from, uh, two years ago, uh, you know, if you walked that ground where I killed that buck, you probably wouldn't think it's worth hunting at all. Now I killed him during the rut, you know, and there, there were does there. So you probably would have been like, you know, this is a rough spot. Like most, most good woodsman would would come to that conclusion but if you were just going off big buck sign alone um you know you would you would probably pass through it because it didn't have real good cover um it was more open ground it was a basically a little a little creek drainage um was only i mean you could darn near throw a football across it um it's so narrow and it just kind of snakes through this wide flat ag ground um, and yeah, when you walk through there, you see, you see some doe sign, you see some little rubs and stuff, but nothing that indicates there was a big five-year-old buck living in there or even using it. Um, but it was a combination of a couple years of observing him, like actually getting a visual. And then once I saw him do, uh, uh the same thing two times in a row or almost the same thing two years in a row, um, then I know, then I knew like, okay, I can, I can monitor this area 
with glassing. I can monitor this area with a trail camera. But what this buck was doing is he's coming out of this piece of private ground and he was actually using the, the open ground, like the, the ag fields as like a safety because the, the cover was so limited and you're familiar with this area of, of mm -hmm. Ohio, mm -hmm. Northern Ohio. Mm -hmm. So what this buck was doing was, you know, the hunters are all in the, the little blocks of timber and the little, the little hedgerows and little pieces of cover. Well, this buck clearly knew that because he was going way out into the field and using the, the openness for safety. And I saw him do that two years in a row. And, um, he did the same thing. He came out of the, this bedding area, which was on some private ground that I couldn't access. And he, he went way out into the field. One year, one year I saw him do it. Um, the next year he did it. And I was in position right on the field edge trying to get a shot at him. And he got downwind to me in the field and, and busted me. And, uh, but he was, he was getting out there downwind of all the cover. And then he was heading up towards that little drainage I was telling you that had the does in it. Mm -hmm. So he wasn't going through the cover and laying down sign. He was out in the open, making a beeline to that drainage. So he was he was actually leaving more tracks like out in the in the egg field. Now it was it was slightly rolling and not visible from the road. So he was hidden from the road, but um, you know not hidden necessarily if you were like set up along that that woods edge. So I actually. Um, how I got on that buck was two things. I had a camera that was really easy to, to access right in that, that drainage, right on the edge. Um, and I had made a little scrape there and just put a camera on it, something I can sneak up, check it. And uh, I started picking up him at night in, in October. I can't remember. It was like mid-October. Like, you know, it was nothing all season. Then all of a sudden it's like, boom, there he is at midnight, you know, and he's in there with the does. And then nothing during daylight. I was like, okay, he's getting interested now. He's mm -hmm. coming and he's checking. And then it was four or five days. And then boom, you get another one. And it's like 11 o'clock at night. So you kind of, you're starting to figure out like, okay, it's not time yet. Right. It's not time. And there was a, it was getting to um, late October. It might've been right around Hall Halloween, but I went in there and I snuck, I snuck in and I checked that camera and I got my first daylight picture of him. I was like, all right, he's, you know, he's in here now. He's, he's starting to use this area now. So I couldn't hunt until, uh, I think it was November 5th was the day I killed him. And I got out of work and I buzzed down there. And so it's kind of hard to explain, but that the, the way this drainage sets up, he comes out of this piece of private ground, goes out in the open, and then he kind of walks through the field and he kind of angles up into that drainage, but he's so far into the field. It's like, you can't sit on the field edge and get like a good close shot. He's like out there to, to get downwind of everything. Or other people hunting the area too, kind of intermittently. But there was this one little corner on the edge where the, I had observed him before where he got, goes out in the open and he starts angling up into that drainage and he's like, and he's, it's a, it's a far shot, but like, maybe just maybe you might be able to get one, like right at your max range, you know, like he's kind of angling up in there. So I grabbed my bow and I went out there and I was cutting through the, um, cutting through that, that field. And all I was doing was like looking for his set of tracks, you know, cause he was, he would always do that. So it's like, I knew I could cut his tracks. It's real sandy soil out there. 
and I finally cut his tracks and I start following his tracks a little bit and I'm kind of looking at the field edge and I'm ranging. I'm like, okay, you know, that's 50 yards. All right. That's four, 40 yards right there. You know, and you can see where he had walked and I was like, that's a poke, you know, but you know, maybe just if, if he's broadside and he's calm or whatever, um, you know, that's, that's about as far as I'd want to like tail, you know, that's, that's, that's really pushing it. And, uh, but I thought that was my best chance. You know, I could have, some of my friends asked me like, why didn't you get into the drainage where the does were? Well, I don't know. I just felt like I didn't want to get in there and I didn't know where they were. And then I like bust these deer out and they start blowing and who knows where they go. You know how that is mm-hmm. out there. It's like, it's so open. You bust them out of one thing of cover. They go to the next one. That's a half mile away. And that might um, be where he so is. Just, exactly. I didn't want to alert any deer. And uh, I knew I could get to that, that edge right there you know, undetected. So I got up in a tree and, uh, sure enough, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm observing this, this little buck. I sit there for a couple hours, but I'm observing this little buck that's coming through the, the cover, the funnel. Like I wish this big one would, and I'm just watching him and I'm, I'm holding real still. And then out of the corner of my eye, I just see something trotting like this behind me out in the field. And I, and I look and here he is at like a full trot going right, right through the open, you know, out in the open field there, right downwind. And I'm like, oh shoot, I don't even have my bow in my hand. So I grab I this was this was crazy. And it was all like instinctual to do this. Like I gotta get him to stop. I knew where my window was and I knew where my scent stream's blowing. And I just go burp. And I, I slowly grab my bow. I'm not even looking at him. I grab my bow like this and and I pull it in and I'm I'm twisting like this super slow. Now I'm kind of up on a ridge a little bit and he's below me and I turn and he's stopped broadside and he's looking in the direction, but he's looking below me, mm-hmm. you know, like yeah. where a deer would be. And I'm just slowly doing this and I come to full draw all in one motion and I put the pin on him and just perfect shot and just perfect shot. He <laughs> takes off. We end up finding him uh, not far away, but it, what was so cool about that was um, the fact that I have had observed him enter this area doing that a couple different times. And then I was able to just on a, a track alone, you know, figure out where that spot was. There was really one spot where I felt I could get in and maybe have a shot and it was a longer shot. And if things, you know, worked out perfectly, he was broadside. Um, you know, I felt like I could make it happen, but I stopped him. But one of the reasons I stopped him, well, well two reasons. One, the, the window was short. The shooting window was not very wide. But the second one is like, I knew he was going to hit my, my scent stream. I wanted to mm-hmm. stop him before he hit my scent stream because then it's over. Yep. So it was, it was, it was a very rushed situation, but like it was, I didn't even think about what I was doing, but I knew why I was doing it. Yeah. You know what I mean? It was oh, just yeah. instinctual. Like I got to stop him now or it's not going to happen. 10 more yards he's downwind of me so it was just a really cool hunt like i every once in a while i'm sure you felt like this you pull off a hunt and you're just like that was pretty good you know like, <laughs> like i did pretty good there you yeah. know <laughs> it, it doesn't always happen that way a lot of times i'm feeling like how bad i screwed up but um so a, another one um that i think is a little different was an, an actual uh, my last time I hunted Iowa and I've, I've told this story but it's just it's just such a good story because 
I really think that it shows like the power of um, having kind of multiple things in your favor. And again, you know, we, we have a big buck sign and, and, and this hot sign and everything. And yeah, man, I think especially like outside of the rut, that can be a great way to get on deer. It can be a great way to get on big deer, but some big deer don't lay down a lot of sign, you know? And I think a lot of that too with, you know, when I, when I, when I go to Iowa, I see like 10 times more sign than I see here in Michigan. And when I go to Ohio, I see five times more sign. And I think it's because, you know, there's so much more competition there with bucks that, I mean, they got a, a healthy age structure, There's two-year-old bucks, there's three-year-old bucks, there's four, and there's a couple five-year-olds. And it's like, there's a healthy competition there and there's sign being laid down American territory. We're in Michigan, you know, it might be like three year and a half year old bucks and a two year old buck, you know, and then mm -hmm. maybe if you're lucky, a three or four year old buck, it's like, he doesn't have competition. You know, yeah. he doesn't have to rip up sign. Mm -hmm. If you're, if you're really good at, at finding things, you'll pick up little clues. You'll find a track, you'll find the little antler tick marks, like in a tree where he'll just, you know, bang his antler on. You'll find those little, those little holes, those little nicks. But um, it's not always like ripped up, shredded, like in your face sign, like, oh man, this is it. So this, this Iowa spot, I went down there in the spring and, uh, and scouted this, this spot. It was a piece of walking ground and not very big. It was a couple hundred acres, but um, mostly open. But what was unique about it, it had these, um, these little drainage ditches, ravines, and it had three of them. So it was basically open, kind of like pasture ground. Then it had these three ravines, like consecutive, like one, then it was open ground, then another one, open ground, and then another one. So it was like, you know, you zoom out, you're looking at the aerial, you're like, okay, you know, to the south, there's like this giant piece of private ground, great bedding area. And you're like, all right, that's going to hold some deer, right? And then you see these ravines, you know, deer like to travel in those ravines, they'll bed in them sometimes and whatnot. But then you look to the north, and there's like all this great ag. You know, so you got this major, like substantial piece of cover to the south, you know, big piece of private ground. And then you got all this ag to the north, you know, great again, private ground. And then you got this little this little piece here with these little ravines. And I was like, man, I think deer, you know, clear travel routes going from south to north where they can stay down in those ravines. So I went there in March and I walked up and down those ravines and there was, when I say there was no buck sign, like I couldn't find anything. Like there was some real faint trails, um, like some little scrubs. And I was like, man, this is like really underwhelming. But I go to the middle, I go to that middle ravine and there's this tree that had kind of tipped over like it, i don't know what happened it kind of broke and tipped over it was still alive but it was hanging it was creating this awesome like overhang branch and i look under it and i just see this like major scrape and i'm like man look at that thing like that's torn up but there was no other big buck sign around and i was like okay so there was there was definitely some travel trails some faint trails just kind of going you know north and south running north and south and i was like all right this 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 thing has a couple things going for it. I got the best cover, you know, darn near in the county to the south. It looks like at least substantial, like big block of cover, like unbroken. 
got Great Egg to the north, then you got these traps out here. But this one in the middle has this awesome primary scrape that's clearly hit. You know, like it's it's been worked for years. And I was like, this is going to be a good spot. You know, that late October, that early November time frame when they're hitting scrapes, the bucks are moving. They're not locked down yet. I was like, I think I think this is, and you you get that through experience. You you thought you find yourself in a scenario. And it's like, okay, it feels like you know everything's telling me it feels like it should be good in this window, you know, in that window in late October where they're really nailing those scrapes to early November where they're still hitting the scrapes, but they're starting to look for does and cover some ground. And then like by that second week in November, like those scrapes just shut off, right? They, mm -hmm. they go cold and there's leaves in them and stuff, but you know, the big bucks don't necessarily ignore those scrapes. I think they're there for a reason, but they don't really work them. So mm -hmm. like, if you have a camera on them, you know, that they start going cold and it's like, you might be like, man, they're, they're, you know, they're off the scrapes or whatever, but they're still working through that area because because it's a scent checking area too you know it's it's there for a reason because the does are moving through so you know i'm, I'm thinking about this all right i got a couple things in my feet i got a sweet bed to feed travel route three of them one in the middle has an awesome primary scrape there's two things that i have going for me and then the fence line right there that connect you know that is the line where that great piece of private ground it was with all that cover i was like okay if i'm getting a south wind southerly wind now i'm on the downwind side of that doe bedding too so i was like all of a sudden it's like there's three things that i really like to key in on kind of all happening at once here and i was like i think you know i think this could be a good spot so i went down there and uh my took my first trip down there late october i sat oh the wind was bad for the first night i sat there um one time and I had like a two-year-old buck come through, he hit the scrape and it was a, it was a pretty slow evening. So I ended up going to a different piece of public ground and had a, a freaking unbelievable hunt. I think I rattled in seven bucks with one sequence. Jeez. Yeah. It was insane, dude. It was insane. Like good bucks too. And one giant and, and I could have shot every buck except the giant. He was, you know, he was the one that hung up, but of course, yeah. So I didn't get anything that trip. I only had um, three and a half days, came back to Michigan, ended up killing an Ohio buck, uh, the buck I was after. And then I got him cleaned up, went to bed and woke up early the next morning and buzzed back down to Iowa. And I was really excited to get back in that spot. So the very first um, morning I climbed back in that spot and I'm, I got that, finally got that southerly wind. It's kind of blowing like Southeast. I don't know if you remember that year in Iowa, but it was it was that year where um, it would have been November. I, I, I shot him on November 6th or 7th, but it was really warm. Do you remember that warm spell in Iowa, 2020? I was in Ohio at that time, but yeah, it was brutal in Ohio too. It was, yeah, 75 degrees and yeah. stale every day. It was yeah. honestly the worst worst November hunting I've ever experienced as far as weather conditions. That's yeah. what it yeah, that's when it was. That's yep. when it was because it was like I looked and the high was going to be like 73. And I'm like, oh, God. But, <laughs> you know, those those mornings, those mornings, those warm snaps can be good because it's like, you know, it's hot all day and they're like they're sluggish and the does aren't moving. The bucks aren't moving much. 
and then it gets that night activity really ramps up. And then if you get those cold or those cooler temps, you know, until like nine or 10 o'clock, those can just be, those can be awesome because the rest of the day is so subdued because mm-hmm. of the warm weather. So you do get a, you can get a really awesome window there of activity, even on those, those really hot days during the rut. But anyway, so I sneak in there and I get up in this tree and the scrape is like, you know, it's cleared off and I'm like, man, this feels good. So I'm right. I'm pretty much right on the property line. Like I, I wanted to be right downwind of that bedding area in case I caught bucks moving east to west, scent checking that way. Or, you know, get getting deer coming back from the ag, you know, down this way. But it's blowing kind of southeast. It's not blowing me right up the ravine. It's kind of blowing me kind of out and up into the, the field there. So I thought I was safe. And I don't know, it's like nine o'clock, nine thirty maybe. I look out in that field and I just see a big mature 10 pointer. I mean, it looked like a, a four or five year old buck, They're just big, mature, beautiful mid one fifties buck coming across doing exactly what I thought he was going to do, but downwind of me, like he wasn't right on the edge. He was actually out, you know, a good 50 yards coming perpendicular to those, um, the, all those ravines. So he's mm-hmm. going through one, coming up, going through the next one, coming up, going through the next one. So he's smelling what's downwind of that bedding area. And he's crossing all those doe trails one by one, nose to the ground. And he's just doing what bucks do, you know? And, and I knew that's what bucks did. I just, I miscalculated a little bit. If I would if I was 30 yards that way, I would have had a crack at him. So I watch him and I, I see him coming. I'm like, Oh God, he's going to hit my scent stream. So I knew, I knew where my scent was blowing and I kind of did something that was a little risky, but I, I felt like he was going to smell me for sure if he got downwind. So I actually grunted to him before he hit my scent stream because I thought maybe I can turn him, you know? Yeah. It's worth know. a shot. But anyway, yeah, I, I just, I just feel confident because, you know, he, those ravines are low and I was kind of down about halfway, but I was up in a tree and then he was kind of coming up over the rise and it's like the wind was blowing there the thermals are going there i just didn't feel good about it but i thought maybe you know blow a grunt maybe he comes in you know on that string and, and my scent misses him well he ends up he he stops he hears me he ends up kind of going more downwind of me um kind of like i thought he might and he ends up getting my wind and he, he turns around and, and runs off i'm like dang it so i look and i'm kind of looking through my glass and i can see like you know, kind of like a faint little trail up there where clearly bucks have done this before that I think I missed before when I was scouting, or at least I could, I could kind of see the route he was going. And I looked and I could kind of, I felt like I kind of see a trail there. And I was like, man, should I move? Should I move up there? And uh, I was kind of contemplating it back and forth. And all of a sudden, as I'm thinking, about it, I hear deer walking, crunch, crunch, crunch. And I'm like, but it's coming from the opposite way but doing the same exact thing on that same trail. And I, I put my binoculars up and I just see tines, like just tines everywhere. Like the craziest rack I've ever seen. And I'm like, no way, you know? So he's doing the same exact thing, just going the opposite direction. So what these bucks were doing, they were doing what I thought. They're downwind of the doe bedding, but they were, they were uh, checking those travel routes, crossing them, mm-hmm. you know, perpendicular, smelling the trails, 
and and this buck was doing the same thing. He was just going the opposite way. But what I had in my favor here was my wind was blowing to the southeast, and he's coming this way. So I have a little more wind to play with. And he's coming, and I'm like, all right, what do I do? Because he's going to pass out of range. Well, he gets about right straight north of me, which is still my wind's missing him, and he stops. He puts his nose up, and I'm like, oh, man, he's got me. Well, he's smelling this. Remember how I told you, like, bucks will still use those scrapes. They might not go and work them, but they're smelling them. Mm-hmm. Doe, does come by. You know, they go by those scrapes. He's checking it. He stops right when he's downwind of that scrape, and he turns 90 degrees and starts walking into it. And he's he's basically coming right at the base of my tree, but he's, like, he's doing, like, an arc kind of up towards that scrape. So I'm, I'm, I'm here, I'm in my saddle and here he comes and I'm like, oh my gosh, he's come head on and I draw back. He's like 15 yards away and I draw back and I'm like this and he's straight down and he gets right kind of at the base of my tree and he's like looking over at the scrape and all of a sudden he goes, and he goes like this, <laughs> he looks right up at me and he just opens all this up here. You know, it just gives me a clear path, like, boom. So I just <laughs> let him have it right there at, like, I don't know, four or five yards. That's but uh, it was the shortest track job I've ever had. I mean, just a deadly shot. But it was super cool because, um, again, not a lot of bucks sign, but it was capitalizing on buck behavior in that window. I had the scrape, so I knew I, I knew that window of that late October – early November, that, that like two week period right there where primary scrapes are hot, hot, they're moving. And then as you get more into that, like first week of November, now they're really starting to look for does. Um, so it was just, you know, I had a lot of two, three, four things going for me in that spot. But again, if you were just going on, you know, big bucks alone, you know, you probably would have, have passed by, you know, passed by that spot. There wasn't even a lot of doe sign in it. Kind of looks you know, other than that scrape, it was, it looked pretty bleak, but man, it really did heat up, you know, during that time. That example really reminds me of that hunt in that setup where, uh, Keith and I had the whole bow behind, behind me deal. As far as, mm-hmm. you know, where the sign was, it was in the creeks that were paralleling the ridge that we were set up on. They were just crossing mm-hmm. over that ridge in one little pinch point and as far as the trail goes, I mean, it's just an average looking little deer trail carved in some steeper terrain. I mean, it's definitely steep right in that spot, but there was rocks that kind of pinned them down to that specific point. And I mean, the one that we rattled in did exactly what we wanted. I mean, he came even closer than the trail, which ultimately kind of hurt us because if it had he not, you know, I might've been able to get to my bow, but it's very similar in that spot. You know, close by, yeah. there was some really good sign. And actually, I just went back and watched this video because, again, just have to kind of drill it into the brain a little bit. And I also think it's just a funny video. It's a super cool encounter. But I remember, or I remembered from watching the video how on the way in, down in the creek bottom, there was a scrape that was obliterated. You know, it was two hoof marks perfectly carved out from that night or something, you know, within the last 24 hours for sure, probably less than 10 hours, honestly. And, um, same deal there though, just not always a ton of sign in the immediate area of the setup. And that differs a lot from, uh, a spot that 
Keith and I hunted in Minnesota this past season where we were sitting up on scrapes that were, you know, right on one line trail all the way through the block that we were hunting. And it's like one spot can look like that and the next can be totally different, but it is interesting to see. And one question that I had from the first story was you mentioned looking through that field for his track. Had you had a Mm -hmm. past um, experience where you like were identifying that track from something specific or were you just looking for the biggest track crossing the field and assuming it was his? Yeah, that's a good question because that particular area, um, as far as I knew, um, from glassing, from, you know, a couple of years of trail camera data, from observing, from hunting it, there was no other buck of that age mm-hmm. and of that size. Um, there was some two-year-old deer, um, you know, some, some year and a half, of course, but he was, and, and I run into that a lot in Michigan. Um, and in some ways, you know, I complain about Michigan not having a good age structure and sometimes not even a, a fully mature deer to chase. But can say is that when you find, you know, a big track or a big sign, it's, you know of a, a big buck in that area it's it's usually him because there's usually not multiple i'm not saying there's never like that mm-hmm. and certainly you can get some three-year-olds that play some some big signs sometimes they're the most aggressive but um in this particular just because i had seen him do that and i knew he was like the big dog in the area um i knew if i cut a, cut a big set of tracks that it was most likely going to be him i mean it was the rut anything could have happened but um yeah, I'd, I had seen him do that, you know, multiple times. Mm-hmm. So, I, you know, I felt pretty confident. Um, but one thing you mentioned about, like, I was just, I was trying to think of some hunt. I was like, okay, let's think of a hunt where, you know, I did see like red hot sign, like blazing, like big buck sign where I was able to capitalize on that. And there was one this year. Um, so there was a, a buck in Michigan. Um, he was pretty much the main buck I wanted to kill. He's this 10 point big, heavy beams. Um, for here, he's, you know, he's, he's a, a giant. And, um, I started learning about this deer. Um, I, I, obviously he was around before, but I, I could not place like what deer this was, you know, I hadn't hunted that area in, in multiple years. So it's just like, but I had a camera out there and I was looking through pictures and stuff. Um, couldn't really figure out what this deer was because I just wanted to like, I wanted to try to get some history, you know, get some information. Like maybe, like, maybe I had a picture of him last year. Like, what was he doing? When did he show up? Like, where was he coming from or going to? And there's just nothing, but there was this, this, this big buck that was just like, seemed to suddenly appear, um, out here. And it quickly, I quickly noticed um i got one picture of him i went out there and scouted once and i was able to observe him do this just from like an observation stand but i saw him coming out of the marsh from a certain direction and coming up into this piece of high ground here where there was like some some white oaks and the the direction he was coming from out of the marsh there is um an oxbow like a little peninsula Mm -hmm. okay so there's this creek out in the marsh it kind of winds through 
and there's a spot like up by the road almost where it kind of goes back and then it loops right up back by the road. And he always came from there. So I was like, I think he's bedding on that oxbow some of the time because he was, he was, he had to be coming from there because either that or he's crossing the river and, and deer don't, they don't typically do that. They certainly can, but, um, you know, I just know what I know about like creeks and, and rivers, especially in like the marshes and stuff. Yeah. They like to bet on those oxbows often. So I started, uh, I started to kind of put a plan together, like where, you know, I might be able to intercept this buck if he was betting there, but I was trying to, this, this is a very sensitive area. Like it's, this was right by the road and you, you get up off the road, you come through a little bit of hardwoods and it, hardwoods and it dips down into this marsh. And it's like, I mean, you're right there, like right off the road, like, you know, crunch, crunch with your feet and he's, he hears, he can hear you. So I, it, it's one of those things where I like, I wanted to make sure the timing was right. I wanted to make sure he was, I had a hunch. That's what he was doing at least some of the time. And I wanted to make sure that I nailed the timing down when he was moving a lot in daylight. Um, and I didn't want to go in there too early and ruin my chance. Cause it, it's just, it's just one of those small spots where you just feel like you're going to get one crack, you mm -hmm. know, if he's in there. So I was kind of relying more on, uh, I guess I was relying a little bit on some trail. I didn't have a trail camera over there, but I had a trail camera about a hundred yards to the East on a scrape. And then there was a, like a, a little field up there um right on the edge of where those white oaks were and that's the spot where i would typically kind of walk a lot i'll often like walk like the edge of like a, a field or an opening trying to see what the sign is on the edge that will tell me what's going on in the marsh you know mm -hmm. like a track you know scrapes that are open up a, a big rub and then it tells me like okay now there's a big buck in here um because to your point earlier when you said like those those kind of those historical trends that that timing can be really important with some of these deer. And if you go in too early when he's not there, you kind of booger the area up, you're bumping does around and you're pressuring the area. But if you can kind of keep tabs and, and read from kind of the outside in, you can sometimes nail that timing down, like right when that buck shows up, you know, mm -hmm. you got a window there where he's vulnerable, or it might be from years past where, you know, you've hunted it, kind of intermittently through the season you're like man i never see any bucks here you know early october never you know mid-october i start seeing some two-year-olds and come late october i start seeing some you know three-year-old bucks so that timing can be really important and i wanted to be real careful that not to push in too early so i was i would walk that edge i would check that camera once in a while um and then all of a sudden right around that right on the edge of those oaks and that opening i started getting some rubs popping up you know, some pretty big rubs, but there's other good deer in this area. So I wasn't convinced it was him, but it was, they're good size rubs. And then I start seeing some tracks, you know, and I'm like, okay. So I check that camera he's not on there. And I just start doing this routinely, like every, you know, five days or so, I kind of go out there at my lunch hour or whenever. And I'm just kind of walking that because this was the buck that I wanted to kill. And I start walking that area. And I start seeing more, more tracks. Now I'm seeing a couple different sets of big buck tracks and these rubs are, you know, popping up here and there. 
And then finally I checked that card and he's on there. And I was like, okay, you know, he's kind of starting to come out this way. Um, and now we're getting into like that November, um, early November timeframe. Um, but I need the, the way this is set up. I need like a Northern wind to be able to hunt, um, that oxbow properly. Mm -hmm. And it's just, I can't remember exactly, but I just remember getting like all these Southern winds, um, this year. And I wanted to hunt out there so bad. It was just like, I couldn't because the wind was always wrong. And I'm trying to hunt this buck coming out of this oxbow. And it's like, I need, I need to get it perfect. And, um, finally, um, oh no, I misspoke. I needed, I need, what I needed was I needed like a, a South East type wind because the way this, um, the way this oxbow went, it went out into the marsh and it went like to the North. Mm -hmm. Okay. So usually when bucks are betting on an oxbow, they like the, the wind to kind of come down through the oxbow, you know, and they're kind of bedded out there, you know, along the river. Um, so they like that wind kind of coming from mainland down that oxbow. So, you know, straight South, but it kind of blew me right into them, but like something out of like the East, Southeast, Southeast, it's kind of, I'm right up against the water's edge where at least where I wanted to be. And it would kind of blow me across the river, but it's still kind of blowing towards him. So that's what I was waiting for. Kind of like that perfect wind. And then finally, um, you know, I felt like the timing is right. Like he's moving, he's, you know, he's in the area. He's, he's moving during daylight. It was November 7th and I snuck in there and I actually took a tree stand. Um, and I was going to try to sit up really low. Um, so I get in there, I, I mean, I get, I get like 30, 40 yards off this road and I'm like looking around. It's, it's, it's kind of breezy, but it's not like super windy. And I'm like looking at these trees. I'm like, gosh, you know, I mean, the oxbow is, is only a hundred yards deep, maybe, you know, so he could be bedded at 70. He could be bedded at 90. And I'm looking at these trees and I'm like, I just, I don't, I don't think I can even get up in them. I think he'll hear me. So I was like, I got to hunt from the ground. So I start, <laughs> there's lots of like dead limbs around. So I start slow, you know, as the wind blew, I'm picking up these dead limbs and I'm, I'm just kind of stacking them in front of this tree. And I create like this, like little makeshift ground blind. And I was like, you know, the tree's big, it's bigger than my shoulders. And I get tucked in there. And all of a sudden, um, I'm, I get all set up and I see, uh, I see movement coming out of the oxbow and I look and it's a doe and she comes out and she gets up into that high ground and immediately she locks onto me and she takes off, but she doesn't go back to the oxbow, but she takes off this way. I'm like, that's not good. That's not good enough. So I, I start stacking more, you know, and then I start stacking them like this. So it's really breaking up my outline now but i got like this awesome little makeshift blind and um i don't know it's an hour before dark and all of a sudden i catch movement and here he comes like this big white rack and he he's coming he's come by the time i see him it's 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 like it's already he's already way too close like he's coming right at me he's already too close and i'm like behind this this brush pile and he's, he's walking like right towards me. And I just, 
I'm like, oh my God. And I start like laying down like this just to kind of lower my head below <laughs> eye level. So my head and everything is below the brush pile. And he walks so close to me, Zach, that I'm 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 here like this, like my shoulder like is on the ground and I'm looking up and he's standing like over me. Like he's feet in front of this brush blind and he's standing above me and I can see his neck and his head and his rack, like right there, dude, like in my face. And I'm like, Oh my God, you know? And then all of a sudden he sees, I think it was that doe or, or a different doe kind of like out in front of him. And all of a sudden he, he kind of like starts trotting towards him. So I immediately stand up and I come to full draw and I go, burp. And he stops and he turns and he's like perfectly quartering away at like 20 yards. And I don't know what I did, man. I completely screwed up. I just drill him right in the shoulder. Mm. I mean, just quartering away, like just aim back, right? Yeah. You know, just aim back, dummy. And uh, I tucked it in too close. I thought I made a good shot. I thought I hit the offside shoulder, but stuck him and the arrow sticking out and uh, he takes off. And called my buddy. We go out there and immediately, you know, you, you know when you hit a shoulder. Um, Cause you, I, I was like, if, if I kill him, he's going to be dead inside a hundred yards and we're gone. And it's, it looks like a shoulder hit. There's no bubbles. And we end up f pretty much following it till it peters out. Um, I came back the next day, uh, even though I, I felt very strongly he was alive, um, did, did a walkabout and never found him. So I was completely devastated. Um, just freaking, I was a sourpuss for weeks and <laughs> It, it was, uh, it was, so the rest of both season comes all of gun season or gun season came in at November 15th. Um, I had some other bad things happen to me. I was like, oh man, it was just, it was a, it was a crazy year, man. Just a, a, a tough year emotionally. And it goes to, I think our last day of gun was like, I can't remember day was it november uh december 12th so it was our last day of gun season and i pretty much had had enough and i just i told myself um i'm gonna go out and try to shoot a doe and i'm just gonna try to end the season on a, on a high note and uh but like i constantly had been thinking about that buck and i was like you know just something like is he, is he still out there like i hit him in the shoulder he's probably alive oh he's probably He's probably long gone. He's hiding, you know, somewhere. But I'm like, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to shoot a doe if I see one. I was like, but I'm going to, I'm going to kind of sit like maybe where he'll walk through, you know? Yeah, yeah. So I didn't get back in that same spot. But what I did is I did go over there, um, that direction. And I got right on the edge of the marsh and where those, all those oaks are and stuff. And I felt like, you know, if he's, if he's in here and he's out in the marsh, kind of pinches down there where the oxbow comes through. I mean, I was off of the, where the oxbow was probably 90 yards, but I was still in an area where he could, he could travel through. I mean, there was some sign there that, you know, from earlier in the fall and whatnot, but I was totally going to shoot a doe, dude. And, uh, if, if I was targeting a doe, I would actually sat back more in the field and probably just tried to do it that way. But I was like, I want to give myself a chance in case, you know, he comes through here or in case I see him. And I, I just thought it would be a huge win if I see him out in the marsh. 
just see, you know, just let me see him and I'll be the happiest guy in the world. Confirm he's still out there. Yeah. Yeah. This is a lot. So it was, it was 15. Let me think 15. It was like the, uh, yeah, it was like the 26th day of our gun season. Um, (laughs) and I'm out there with my bow and, I'm, so I'm sitting there and I mean, it's a good hour and a half before dark. And, and I, I'm just kind of look, I look out in the marsh and I see like this white thing and I'm like, what? I get my glass up and I'm like, holy crap, that's him. And he's, he's out there like just, you know, as big as ever as his white rag, just as clear as day. And I'm like, you gotta be kidding me, dude. You got to be kidding me. And I'm like, no way. And I'm like, dude, I'm, I'm, I'm happy. You know, and he's kind of standing there, and all of a sudden, he starts walking. And he's got this limp, right? I'm like, dude, that's him. You know, here, but he's he's kind of walking towards me, and I'm like, I was like, there's no, there's no way this is gonna happen. Like, I'm just like, no way. And here, you know, here he comes, and every once in a while, he stops. He's looking around. He's he's coming right towards me, and I can hardly believe it. And so, I think what I had going for me the i've thought about this quite a bit what i think i had going for me was like i drilled this buck in the shoulder right mm-hmm. and he went wherever he went and then i never went back like i didn't go for gun season i just stayed the, the heck out of there well the gun pressure around there is just crazy i mean they do drives they sit they hunt every day mm-hmm. everybody shoots everything and i think he got pushed back in there you know back to his home mm-hmm. you know and he didn't really know what happened. I mean, he knew he got stung by something, but he never smelled me. You know, yeah. he never saw me, yeah. you know. Um, and that's the only thing I can make sense of. But he was he was back in there, and he came right out of that freaking oxbow. You know, he came right out of that same spot. And here he comes, man, and he's just – he's moving well before daylight. And he does, man. He looks like he's he's getting around, but he looks like he's struggling. And there's, you know, a, a quarter of a mile, five, 600 yards this way is, is – egg you know like good he's making his way but he's not he's not breaking cover it, it was like it was fate man he just he came right to me and he offered me a 22 yard shot and i put him down that's I awesome mean, it was it was unreal i had never i had never killed a buck that i had shot and wounded you know and got on him again and but it was it was the most rewarding deer he's not my biggest deer um by a long shot but he's a great deer I can't think of one that's more rewarding, you know, and, and, and I admit like there wasn't a whole lot of like skill involved here. I mean, <laughs> I got lucky. Like I went out there to shoot a doe. Like if a doe came out first, I would have shot a doe. Yeah. And, uh, but it was just like, you know, sometimes things just happen out there and he's just like, man, you know, it was just meant to be. So, but that one, that in particular, that, um, that hunt, was more of okay signs popping up you know there were bit there were rubs that were like shredded coming out of that um i forgot to mention that but coming out of that that oxbow when i went over there with the tree stand and i was going to set up i looked in there and there's like big rub big rub big rub kind of going back in there and i was like all right he's he's in here and he's using this and then up around that opening up there by the oaks i mean that was it was torn up too by him and, and some other bucks. So that one was a little more obvious, like hot sign um, that I was able to capitalize on it and some, and some just good uh, problem solving and, and judgment there, you know, by kind of guessing where he was betting. But mm-hmm. that was a kind of a cool hunt. Yeah. It's cool too, because even though you say you got lucky, there's 
even if that is 100% true, which I don't totally believe that it's 100% true, there's still, you know, a lot of skill that goes into picking a spot where even just a deer is going to come past you in bow range. But moving forward now, everybody can take something away from that story as far as if there's pressure in the surrounding areas and you've been kind of laying low or ignoring an area, letting it rest, and can go back in there late season. I mean, that's definitely beneficial. And I mean, late season hunting like that's definitely a struggle, but, you know, kind of picking and choosing your times and going in and kind of letting the pressure get that spot to where he's comfortable in there again, obviously worked in your favor because sounds like that was pretty yeah. early too. Um, like that he came past in the evening. Yeah, it was, it was, it was way earlier than I would expect from a big mature deer. But I think, um, you know, he was a, a shell of what he was mm-hmm. like in his prime, like de- earlier in the year. I mean, he was a big body deer. I mean, you, you'd see pictures of him and it was like, he was huge. And when I saw, when I saw him, when I hit him in the shoulder, I mean, he was, he was giant, like his, his neck and his, his belly and his back and everything is like, he, you know, those, every once in a while you see those bucks where it like, their neck comes down and it hits those shoulders and they go up like that. Like they got this big hump. Yep. I mean, he was just like a, he was a beast and he was worn down. Like his spine, um, you know, you could see he, he looked like, a, I mean, he, he looked like he lost, you know, 60, 70 pounds. I don't know how much, but he was, he was a shell of what he was, but you know, he was alive. He was moving. He was moving to food. He seemed to be getting around. Okay. Um, and this was interesting. So, I obviously I was curious, like where my shot was, you know, the, the initial shot. So I, I found it, you know, there, it was, it was healed over. There was a thin piece of skin on it. And I kind of like, you know, I touched it and it just immediately broke right open, Hmm. but it was like starting to heal. And then I look and he's got this big giant hole in his chest. And I'm like, dude, he either got shot in his chest, like a frontal or another buck or something, but he had a big hole right here too. And I'm like, man, what a, what a warrior, you know, just a warrior. But yeah, it was pretty cool, man. I, I, that really, that really made my season to be honest with you. I had had a a great season overall, but there was a lot of heartache and some bad stuff that happened, but man, I was just so, I was just so relieved and, and, and satisfied with that buck. It was, it felt really good. I was going to ask one of the questions and maybe, maybe you kind of, uh, got to it already with that story of hitting him prior, but I noticed you had made a post back kind of shortly after the season ended and said something along the lines of like, you know, it was, it was basically, I got the vibe that you were feeling unsatisfied and that you had made some mistakes. There were things you wanted to improve on. Mm-hmm. What are some of the things that you learned or uh, feel like you could improve on specifically moving forward. Yeah, this is this year was uh, it was a man. There's just there's so many. I talked. I I had a I guess with the fall uh, Aaron Blasey, the fall podcast where I kind of went over pretty much the whole season. And yeah, I had I had I had a, a great season. You know, I killed four big bucks. Um, but there was a lot of mistakes. Uh, you know, you, would, you wouldn't think I would be like a, 
a, a seasoned veteran hunter. <laughs> if you followed me around, I don't think this year, but, um, a couple things, you know, honestly, they're, they're very like beginner level stuff that you would be taught, you know, when you're, or, or you would learn when you're first starting to hunt. But I think that I started to get a little maybe overconfident or, or not even just think of like those basic fundamental things that can be the key to having a successful hunt. Like just, um, you know, if you're going to get up in a tree, um, you know, getting where the cover is. Like I started to feel confident where I could set up anywhere and make it happen because I had done it, you know, like, um, a lot of times I'll hunt low, like in the saddle, like literally like really low, sometimes at ground level with the saddle, just hide it behind the tree or five feet up or eight feet up. And I had, I've killed some really big bucks doing that the last few years, but I got, I sure got busted a lot this year, like a lot. Um, and they were picking me off and they were seeing me moving. And I felt like I was a little more fidgety and my head wasn't in the game as much. Um, my shots, um, I wasn't happy with my shooting. Um, I, I mean, I made some great shots on some deer and then I, you know, that one in the shoulder. And then I had another one that happened with, uh, the gun, you know, I don't know. Um, I think I just kind of need to revisit my, my whole shot process and stuff. They weren't, it wasn't like punching the trigger. It, you know, I don't do that. I, they were, I executed a good shot, but I think I just, I don't know. I don't know what it is. And maybe it just got a little, little quick with it or, or whatever. But, um, anytime you, anytime you wound a deer or two in a season, it's like, you kind of have to rethink some things like, okay, is that just a fluke or is there some things I can probably work on? Um, and I think there is, you know, it's just, even always for is. guys like us, <laughs> yeah, yeah, always for is. guys like us, just kind of going back to the drawing board, some of the basics and working on those fundamentals. Mm -hmm. Um, I seem to, I felt like, I felt like a lot of my hunts this year, I just wasn't very, um, uh, I just felt like I wasn't as mm, stealthy as sneaky. Um, maybe my head wasn't in the game, but I just, I felt like it felt like almost every time I entered any type of timber, the woods knew I was there, <laughs> you know, and I usually don't feel that way. I usually feel like I'm kind of one with the woods and I kind of disappear in the woods and I move with the shadows and the wind and I can kind of slip through and get up on animals. And I had some hunts like that where I was still hunting. There was this one, man, I was still hunting in Ohio. It was one of those, those days where it was like, you know, I just felt like taking the bow and, and slipping through some cover. And I knew there was a, a good buck in there somewhere. Um, but I didn't quite know where, and I just wanted to kind of test the skills. And I was like, I was on it that day, man, I was slipping through and I, you know, I come up over this rise and there's like a group of does bedded there. There's like six or seven of them. And they're, they're right there, like eight yards, you know? And like, like they have no idea I'm there. I'm like, this is, this is badass. Yeah. You know, I just, and I kind of backed out slowly backed out and then I worked up around them and never even, never even alerted them. And, uh, but then there were other, other days where I felt like, you know, I step out of my car and there's deer flying this way. And I, you know, I break timber and there's freaking deer going this way and blowing and, and deer spot me up in the tree. And I'm like, geez, like 
I must be like, like Elmer, Elmer Fudd out there, you know? So yeah, it was just, it was one of those years where I just felt like, I don't know, maybe I just got a little sloppy, you know, maybe I got a little sloppy. Maybe I got a little confident. I mean, I never felt like super confident or anything. It just, I was just doing my own thing, but certainly after a year like that, um, cause it should have been my best year ever with what I saw and the opportunities I had, it should have been my best year ever. It ended up being a good year. If you look at what I killed, but if you look at all the other stuff, you know, I basically had like, I basically had like four, five, six, like really good hunts and the rest were just screw ups. I mean, it really was, it really was. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I don't know. A lot, just a lot of like, you know, fundamental stuff that I kind of need to just go back and just, you know, kind of emphasize, you know, the base, the basics still work, you know, just kind of, um, play in the wind, being sneaky. If you're going to get up in a tree, sitting without moving, not being <laughs> so fidgety, um, setting up where the cover is, you know, and not where you think you want to be because you're, you're, you're too lazy to get up there, you know? So I think, I think a lot of times it was just like, just a little overconfidence, like, oh, I'll make, you know, I can make this work. I can, I always feel like that. I can make this work. And there's some times where I just need to be real with myself. I'm like, I'm going to get busted here. Yep. You know, and if, if that first year busts me, like the, the game is over. Mm -hmm. So yeah, yeah, it's mostly, mostly stuff like that. I think a lot of people ask themselves, how can I get better at hunting? Well, do what Andy's talking about right now. Be critical of yourself, even if, you know, your success looks good or in ways feels good find you know those areas that you can improve on because no matter how much experience you get i guarantee you can always improve on something i mean every season i look back and i try to reflect on the good but also burn those mistakes into my mind like i i have been joking throughout this talking about the one that came in to the rattling with the bow behind me. And like, I have this photo board. That's like pretty much my prized possession. I've got like tons of photos up on this wall behind the the camera here. And if you were to really look at it, you know, if you look at it big scale, it's like all these pictures of, of the good things. But if you look into the little corners, I got all the ones that got away that really, you know, mess, like mess with me a little bit or like in the moment where it's like such a bonehead mistake or something that, you know, looking back, I felt like, oh, I could have definitely done better on that. Whether it be a stalk that was blown or um, <laughs> bows behind you or whatever it may mm -hmm. be, it's like there's all these situations that, you know, you mess up throughout a season. But if you only take away the success, you're you know, that's limiting in itself. So I think that mm -hmm. it's cool that you're being critical of yourself, even though, like you said, you shot four nice bucks and I feel similar in ways from kind of the last two seasons. I, f I feel frustrated at some of the things that I've done. My shot, uh, my shots have not been so good. Last year was not very good for me. I had to shoot a pronghorn twice. I hit a mm -hmm. buck high and, uh, Minnesota as well hit him in the shoulder he got shot by a rifle hunter ended up making a good shot on a 
buck in Minnesota later in the season, but it's still like, you know, you make that good shot and you're happy about it and you're like, okay, good, back on track. But still, mm-hmm. it was not a great year for me shooting-wise either. And then the year prior to that, 2021, I um, just felt like I was playing everything timid or playing it timid at the wrong times. Like, mm-hmm. wasn't aggressive enough. And it sounds, I feel like kind of weird saying it when, you know, you may watch videos throughout the season and be like, what do you mean, Zach? Like, you're, you know, constantly on the move. How could you be, you know, timid? Well, what I mean specifically is, is I wasn't cruising trying to actually find that really good sign. I was getting hung up on a past memory or um, was just playing it too safe, like worrying about, oh, there might be a big one in here. I'm going to tiptoe around and ultimately just waste a bunch of time. And I think, you know, going back and trying to adjust those strategies and mm-hmm. mistakes or whatever you want to call them just go a long way. And I think that I learned a lot this year adjusting from it. Like one of my objectives um, when I went to Indiana for a muzzleloader hunt was – I don't even want, I don't even have, no expectation of shooting buck. I just want to get as aggressive as I can be and actually feel too aggressive. I want to feel too aggressive at the end of this hunt so that way I can find some middle ground between tiptoeing and being too aggressive. So, like, I got out of that what I wanted. I didn't shoot buck, but that wasn't even my objective, and I'm happy. I'm really actually proud of that because it's like I just got after it, you know, so. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's it it's important, I think, to think about those things, and that's truly what I appreciate out of you know any experience level. Is like, what could you improve on? Because we all can improve. Yeah, it's, cool, yeah. it's, it's funny uh, you mentioned about your your board there because I do something similar. Um, I I've kept like uh, so pretty kind of like three i guess i guess you would call them three journals it's really two journals but one is like my hunt like a a handwritten like um journal of every hunt that i've ever been on okay which is super cool and i'm really proud of that that's awesome um from the very first year i've ever hunted like you know the date where i was hunting the wind the temperature what i saw where i was sitting you know all that stuff but then another one is like my hunting stories okay it's like i write it out. Um, I've done that for every single, um, every, not every doe, but every single buck that I've shot. But then in that same, um, like storybook, I've written down every, um, opportunity that I've screwed up on that where I should, I write it down if I felt like I should have killed the buck. Now that doesn't mean like, Oh, I sat in the wrong spot. If I was sitting over there, I would have got him. No, it's like, it's either, you know, I had him in bow range and, you know, he caught me drawing or I hit him in the shoulder or I shot high or whatever it is where I should have killed that buck. I write that, that story out and, and I, I write in there what I, what I did wrong and what I need to do to change it. And I've done that since the, since I very first started. And, you know, I think like, guys like you and I, and there's a lot, you know, a lot of guys out there, like, I feel like those failures and those, those mess ups, they hit so hard because like, we really, really care about this, you know, like I really care about this and I really 
work hard to be good at this. So when I fail, it's just like, oh, it's like a punch to the gut because I do, I, I want to be a good hunter and I want to, I work hard to like get better every year. So when I have a year where I actually felt like I'm worse, man, it's, it's tough. Yeah. And it, it kind of like, kind of brings you back. I, I don't feel like I ever get cocky or confident, but you know, sometimes you, you know, maybe you do like you inside, you just feel like, man, you know, things are rolling. I'm, you know, I'm having another good year or whatever. You don't really think, and you start to like let these fundamentals or these, these obvious things, these, these things you should always, you know, have in place, you know, you just start and put less importance on them or you're not thinking about them. And it's like, all of a sudden it's like, you're out there, you know, being sloppy, you know, and, and making mistakes that you shouldn't. Um, so yeah, man, those, these seasons like this, they're, they're good for you. They're good for growth. They're tough to swallow. Um, especially when you care mm-hmm. so much, you know, and it's mm-hmm. like you release an arrow at an animal like that. And it's like, you know, there's, there's no bigger moment out there for mm-hmm. us. That's the biggest moment, you know? And, um, it's like the super bullet for us at this point. <laughs> I mean, it is really, it, it really is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, and just to screw that up and then to, you know, to, to make it even worse, like you, you hurt that, that animal. And it, it hits me like a ton of bricks. It always has. Mm-hmm. And it, it, I think, um, you know, there was, there was a couple things kind of leading up to that hunt where like, just like I said, opportunities where I definitely should have killed a good deer and I didn't. But I was letting it roll off my back. I'm like, no, oh, it's okay. No big deal. You know, I'll get a crack at another one. No big deal. But like in my head, I'm like, you suck. You know, <laughs> you're thinking, and it starts to play with your head, your confidence a little, right? You're like, God dang it, I missed that. You know, am I going to get another opportunity? I should have, I should have did that. Should have did that better. You know, and then something else happened. And then something else happened. And all of a sudden, I'm like, what the hell am I doing? Like, how do, how do I kill a deer? I don't remember how. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like, I felt like that. And then, and then I make this awesome move on the big buck I was after, the number one buck. Like, I don't get a buck like this to chase in Michigan every year. I just don't. And here he is. I think I got no reason betting. I go in there planning to get up in a tree. My instincts tell me, don't get up in the tree because I'll hear you. I get on the ground. I get this, you know, he gets within six feet of me and doesn't know I'm there. And I'm hiding like this <laughs> under the under the sticks and I'm looking at him. And then I rise up to, you know, I mean, like everything was just like, dude, like you did it right, man. You made, you followed your gut. You did it right. Drill him in the shoulder. Mm-hmm. You know And I'm just like? You know, my heart, my confidence, everything just went, whoop. Mm-hmm. you know, just sunk. And it's just like, dude, you're just, you're, you're an idiot. You know? <laughs> so, so it was just, it was just one of those years, man. And you just, you just gotta like, you know, be tough. You know? Mm-hmm pull up your britches and, 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 uh, admit the mistakes and mm-hmm. look at them and see like, all right, you know, I make mistakes. I make a lot of them, a heck of a lot of them. So how do I, how do I get better? How do I make sure that that doesn't happen again or try my best to make sure that doesn't happen again. But I, sometimes I have to remind myself and my friends are all really good, you know, cause I, I get, I, I think I, I hunt more. Some of my friends hunt way more than me. I hunt more than some of my friends. But I think because of the way I hunt and I travel and stuff, like I tend to get a lot more opportunities than some of my friends, you know, mm-hmm. and they're, they're all really good about it. And it's just, you know, 
because it, it feels like some of those guys don't screw up as much as me, you know, but they're, they'll be the first one to say like, like we're not getting as many opportunities as you. Like, it's just, it's bow hunting, dude. Like it happens. Like, you know, this, you know, this happened to me a few years ago or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, you know, so it's like, sometimes it's just that little encouragement and kind of get you back your head. Right. But it's a tough deal, man. Bow hunting is, is hard. And people probably think like, man, I go out there and, and, you know, I'm, I'm so dialed in and I'm just like so stealthy through the woods and, oh man, I wish I could hunt with Andy to see what he does. I mean, you'd laugh your ass off half the time. You yeah, would. Same. You'd, be like, you'd be like, this guy, this guy knows how to kill deer, you know, but every, you know, every once in a while, like, um, you know, you make those right decisions and, uh, you know, pull it off. But man, it, it's, I've always been that way. I've been, I've been, uh, kind of an aggressive type hunter. So I make a lot of mistakes, but I felt like that kind of took me on the fast track to becoming better quicker because I was always like, I was always pushing, you know, testing my limits quite a bit and like pushing things that I, that most people probably would think are is impossible or hard or won't work. But I've always had that mindset. Like I can do that. You know, I can do that. And then I try and, I, can't, I couldn't do it, but you know, <laughs> I felt like I could, but then, but then I'm like, but if I did it this way, I would have did it. You know, if I mm-hmm. did it a little differently, I would have pulled that mm-hmm. off. And so the next time I'm in that scenario, I do it a little different. Yeah. And it's just like the, by being more aggressive and, and kind of pushing those limits and, and pushing your limits. Like I've said this before, but like, if you're not pushing the limits, how do you know how good you could even be? How do you know that like you couldn't sneak right up on a buck and shoot him in his bed with your bow? If you never try, yep. you know, like you might be sneaky enough to do that. You might be patient enough. You might be so in tune with your surroundings, with your foot placement, with the way the wind's blowing, the noise of the plane going over your head and, and knowing when to move and when to sit still for 30 minutes like a rock. And then you make your, your final approach. Like you, you might be able to do that, but you have to like push those limits to see what your limits are. Um, a lot of guys just, they don't have that confidence or willingness to try those things and make those big, huge mistakes. Cause it seems stupid. You know, mm-hmm. it seems silly to yeah. try to do, mm-hmm. but I mean, look at the stuff Jared Scheffler's doing. I mean, are you kidding me? Yeah. So, you know, you see a guy like that doing that and you're like, he can do it. You know, I can do it. I just yeah. need reps. I need, I need to make the mistake. I got to get out there and, and do it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a lot of guys that I think have more of that play it safe. Don't, I don't want to be detected. You know, that mindset of like, um, kind of sit back and, and wait, you know, you don't, you don't get those, those reps. You don't get those encounters as much. You don't get those mistakes as much. So your, your learning process is so much slower compared to a guy like, you know, a guy like me or a guy like you, that's more aggressive. And you just gotta, you gotta learn like when you are that aggressive and you're making those mistakes, you're making those errors. Okay. You gotta like be able to admit it. You gotta be able to identify what you did wrong and make those adjustments, you know? And that's where those, like those instincts start to kind of kick in and they start to develop over time. But you know, it, it takes a while, but I always tell like the younger guys, like, I get all these messages on social media and like, 
you know, I got this buck, you know, what would you do? And I'd be like, man, I could go in there right after him, you know, you know, you be, be careful. You don't want to give them too much advice because it's so situational. Right. I just, I always say, just go for it, man. You know, just go for it and try to be smart. Listen to your gut. If your gut tells you to slow down, slow down. If your gut tells you to set up, set up. If your gut tells you to keep going, I was like, no matter what happens, you're going to be better the next time around. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I think one of the biggest, uh, takeaways that I would hope somebody would get from what you just said is being able to admit it. I think that's a really big hurdle. And the reason I think that is how many times have you heard somebody say, well, he got downwind of me. It's like, well, why did he get downwind of me? Or there's some sort of like excuse, I guess, where it's like, well, this happened. It's like, but why did that happen? You know, Mm -hmm. well, you know, he saw me sitting there because I didn't have enough cover or he smelled me because I didn't know that trail was there or, you know, or I wasn't playing the wind properly or whatever it may be. It's like, admit it, think about Mm -hmm. it, be extremely critical of yourself and then move on. Also, don't, you know, don't let that weigh you down every day because that also is a bad habit. It's like, be honest with yourself and then move on. And then because in five minutes, the next opportunity might come past. Like, for example, you used uh, the example of the story in Iowa where you had the big buck go past. And then as he's leaving, another one's coming. Yeah. And I think that that's a great, a great uh, perspective to keep in mind is at any point, your season might just completely turn around and it, it sometimes happens easily. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, just. Yeah, that's, that is hunting. And I think, uh, like you said too, the more you push it, the more, you know, for the next time. And it seems crazy, but you know, the first time I made the decision to stalk a buck bedded, it was just like, well, I mean, what else am I going to do? Really? Like I could sit here and watch him and it cracks me up now, like watching, uh, you know, hunting shows, like more of a production type of hunting show where, you know, maybe they're chasing one specific buck and there's all these like actual visuals on the buck, but there's just a whole lot of waiting and it just cracks me up. Cause it's like, Oh, like yeah. if I see that buck go in the, you know, CRP field with a doe, it's like, are you kidding me, dude? Like yeah. you can't get me out of the setup faster. You know, yeah. it just, yeah. it is interesting to see, see that and then also it kind of makes you realize too why so many people are hesitant to do it is because there are a lot of situations that you see on tv or or whatever it may be wherever you watch your hunting content these days like there are a lot of situations where especially on a well-managed well-controlled large-scale property where you do keep seeing the same buck over and over seeing them do these patterns or come out into Mm -hmm. these open areas in daylight but for most of us that's not reality and therefore when you have that opportunity you're better off just to strike for it in my opinion this is and this is just my opinion in the way that i like to do it similar to you or it's like if i see him right there i can't guarantee he's going to be there ever again let -hmm. alone tomorrow you know like he may never be there again so i might as well try it now if it doesn't work so be it and at least i have that experience for the next hunt and it's just helped me a ton but I did also want to tell a quick story of overconfidence I had been more uh, 
I had been real aggressively stalking bucks any chance I had got for several years. And it was 2021, and I had drawn some New Mexico deer tag kind of by accident. And uh, I didn't get a chance. I thought I was going to get down there to scout, but got down there and some of the areas that I thought I could maybe get away from the hunters. I wasn't finding many deer and finding a ton of rattlesnakes. So ended up kind of changing areas. And long story short, found this buck. And he was like by far the biggest bodied deer. And he was just, we called him the glorified fork. He just was a big fork, huge framed fork with at the very end of his uh, G2s, he had little splits and these dinky little brow tines. He was a glorified fork. Yeah. And I mean, greatest hunt, one of my greatest hunting memories is chasing that buck with Roy around the mountains up there. And he bedded two times and I stalked him on the second day of the hunt and the last day of the hunt. And up to that point, and this is, I, I hate even saying this, but like when I'd actually spotted a buck up to this point bedded, I'd never not got in range of him and like had a legit opportunity. When he was actually bedded the whole time, I made the move. So like all I could think is, oh, if we bed him, he's dead, you know, in my head. It's like I'm, I got too confident and therefore mm-hmm. I kind of took a few plays off, which take a few plays off, a few steps or, you know, you, you get a little careless and next thing you know, it costs you and both times I exposed myself because I was just not thinking correctly. I was in position or I was getting close to in the first time I knew I was in range, but I kind of just got sloppy and didn't glass ahead enough. As I took my steps, it was like I was taking too many steps and little mm-hmm. did I know he was looking at me through the, the brush. And I know that cause watching the footage from a different angle. And then the second time, I was set up on him 35 yards, him and his buddy, and I think his buddy saw me. It was the same two bucks, actually, both times I stalked him, but I think his buddy saw me because I was standing up trying to glass him, where I had been set up in the shadows waiting. All I needed him to do was stand up and, you know, wait for an opportunity at that point. Wind's blasting in my face. But I think he saw me standing up and got me on the skyline because they were bedded slightly lower than me. But both mm-hmm. of those examples are just completely careless, overconfident, being like, well, I got it in the bag. It's like, oh, and, you know, up to the point of the mistake, I had done a lot of things right, but still was far from getting, you know, the job done. And I just think that yeah, it's moments like that that really bring you back to like, hey, you cannot take this too lightly, you know, and. Mm-hmm. It helps, you know, sometimes you need that kick in the ass to be like, hey, like do better next time. And I, I really appreciate those hunts later more, more than the ones that most of the time, at least more than the ones that you actually do everything right, you know? Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. Think, I mean, think about like, a, you know, uh, like a, the, a boxer or like an MMA fighter, right? That like is just torching everybody, you know, he's like he's on a streak, you know, and then he runs into this dude, you know, he's on a 15 fight win streak. He runs into this dude and just loses, gets his ass kicked. Right. (laughs) And like all of a sudden he's like, Holy shit. You know, that's kind of like how I felt, probably how you felt. Mm -hmm. And it's like, damn, like, okay. 
like I either got sloppy here. I maybe I let my guard down or whatever, or maybe this guy has a whole new set of skills. Like I need to train for this and get better, you know, and then he comes back in the rematch and he's able to beat him. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's kind of like that. Right. Because yeah. this, these, these encounters that we have, they're, they're wild animals and we, there's no way we can be completely ready for every situation. You know, every situation has a different like intensity and excitement level and pace and they're, you know, sometimes it's just you and the deer. Sometimes it's you and the deer and there's all these other deer around. It's like super intense. And just, you know, I could think of like some hunts where I did everything right. You know, I got into position. It seemed almost impossible, like especially out West, just to get a shot. And, you know, I'm, I'm holding my pin and I'm there was so much going on. I completely forget to like adjust for the wind drift mm-hmm. you know like something so simple that in my backyard i do every time but there's not all this other stuff like mm-hmm. going on like that you know little things like that just dumb things that i that i know like you know you got a, a big crosswind you gotta you know 50 yards or whatever you gotta aim you know four or five inches to the left you know that like <laughs> things like that um there's a quick story it was this year um Ohio, Ohio buck, a, a, a real big buck, like a really, really big buck for that open area of Ohio. Like, you know how it is down there. Um, the age structure isn't great. You know, they, the, uh, the, the gun hunting pressure is really high for the amount of cover that's available. Yep. Yep. And they're very, very efficient at driving these little woodlots and killing what comes out. Mm-hmm. So you, you, don't get a lot of those like four or five year old bucks. Um, this buck had an incredible rack. I don't know how old he was. Um, as an area I like barely hunt. And I started glassing him up um, in the summer. And there was actually two really nice ones in there. Um, I would have been happy with either of them in any other circumstance, but just because that deer was such a special animal, I was like, it's that one, it's that one or none. And the, and the second biggest one was like 150 inch eight. Jeez. So it's like, it was like, it was like that caliber, you know, he's a big, big six by six. And, uh, I, I've, I've, I've posted about, it. I've talked about it. Um, I think there's a, a video on, on my social media of where like I'm on the ground and I'm filming and I zoom in and you can see the buck bedded and he's like, he's bedded right on the edge of this woodlot, like kind of like out in the open. But anyway, there was a spot where I thought I could kill this deer. Um, in fact, I, I knew I could kill this deer if I could get into this tree and every single day I never had a good wind and I just couldn't get there. But I, but the way he came out of this little tiny woodlot, they would come out, and they would head to the south and they would kind of cut this corner where this little, there was like a little tree line that came out about 20, 30 yards off this square little woods in the middle of nothing but wide open. And there was a tree right there in that little tree line where these deer would come out and they would kind of angle by it. And I was like, if I could just get in that tree, I'll kill this thing. Um, he was doing it all, you know, late summer, like leading up to the season. And then season opens and it's like, I'm getting a dead wrong wind every time, like dead wrong. It's always like a Southwest. You know, I told you about all those South winds. Mm-hmm. It's so many of them this year. And so what I kept doing was I kept hunting on the opposite side, observing, 
in the ground. I'd snuck in through this cornfield. I'm right on the edge of the corn. There's nothing between him but beans and I, you know, and this deer is in a spot that nobody would think to hunt because the woodlot's about this big, <laughs> you know, and they're just there. They're in a bachelor group and they're there for a few days and then they disperse or the beans come out and they're just gone and you don't know where they go. So there's like this little window and I'm like camped out on this thing every chance I get. And I'm always in that corn and I see him come out a couple times, a couple different times and go right by that tree. I'm like, Oh my God, it's killing me. Well, I, I get there. Um, I get there. I don't know. It was like my third or fourth time. And I just, I felt like if I could keep eyes on him, keep tabs on him, and, and see if there's, you know, something else he does, or maybe he comes this way. And, and just, I just wanted to know that he was there and observe him as much as I could. And, uh, I'm sitting there and I'm glassing and then all of a sudden I'm like scanning and I had been there for like an hour and a half and I didn't see him initially. And, and I might, this might've made the difference because when I initially got out there, it was really breezy. And then as the evening went on, you know, it went from 20 to 15 to 12. Well, by the time I scanned for the fourth time, I, I spot his rack bedded and you know, there's like an hour and a half of daylight left and the winds already died down to like 12, Yeah, you know? So I was really mad at myself about that. So I look and I know, um, I know that the very next day, like tomorrow, I get the wind I've been waiting for to sit that other tree, but he's bedded right there right now. And there's actually a, 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 a drainage ditch, you know, those like those flat ditches, yep. you know, it's like flat and then go down a little drainage. There's, there's one that goes right up to them, but it's, it's early season. It's full of weeds, like over your head, not, not quiet. But I was like, if I go slow enough, I was like, I can, I can do this. And I'm, I'm, I'm going back and forth. Like, do I do, I do the safe play and, and sit in the tree I've been sitting in? That's the smart move. That's the smart move. That's you'll probably kill him tomorrow. But every part of me wanted to go after it because it's just badass. Yeah. It's just the best thing to do. And I, 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 I said to myself, I was, I was going back and forth and I said, I said, the, the better, I said to myself, I remember saying this to myself, the better hunter would be able to pull this off. And I was like, I'm going to do it. Win or lose, I'm going to do it and I'm going to be fine with it. So I'm like, screw it. I'm going for it. So I get down in that ditch and I start making my way and things are going good. You know, I'm moving with the breeze. I'm crawling some of it. I'm like taking all these awkward steps, just trying to step and put my feet in places where I'm like not rubbing against too much brush and making noise. And I get to like, I don't know, 60 yards or so. And I kind of peek up over the ditch and I look and I can still see him. So I get down. And I start going a little further. I get to like 54 and I, I, I look up and all of a sudden I see a different big rack and it's that big eight, the big, big eight. And he's up and he's, he's right on the edge and he's doing a little scrape. And I'm like, Holy crap, you know, I'm 54 yards from him. Got a shot at him. And I'm like, no, I'm not, I'm not doing it. I've never passed a deer that big in my life, but <laughs> like, I'm not doing it. So I, I go in and I get, I don't remember. I was, I was like right around 40, 42 and it was dying down just enough where I felt like 
I can't go any further. Mm-hmm. I just can't. I need to let him come out, make the mistake. And if, if he if he goes the other way and goes towards that tree, hey, no harm, no foul. I'm undetected. Like, no big deal. So I'm, I'm sitting there at 42, and I got my bow, and that big eight is, like, right there, man. All I need to do is just get up on my knees and make a shot, and I'm like, I'm not doing it. He would probably been my biggest eight. And um, so I'm, I'm, I'm sitting there, and every once in a while, like, I don't want to be, like, up, you know. So I, I just kind of hunch down, and every once in a while, I just, like, put my eyes up just to see. And it was, I don't know, it was, like, the third or fourth time. I, you know, I kind of get my glass and I, and I go like this and I'm looking and between the last time I went up, went down and, and this time coming back up two little bucks, like year and a half year old scrappers had come out into the beans and I didn't know it. So that they had to come towards me a little bit. So they're kind of like out here and I'm looking here <laughs> and I put my head up and then I put the glass down and I'm like, and then one of them, one of them's locked on, you know, he's locked oh. on. Oh God. Like the worst thing ever. Like the, the youngest, dumbest buck in the whole group. <laughs> he's gotcha. Yeah. And I'm like, oh. so, you know, I'm like, I'm trying to remain motionless. And he's, he's like, you know, walking towards me, taking those steps, like alert. And I like, you know, I just try to like hardly even move and just kind of like sink down into the grass. You know, and just, I'm like, please just lose interest, please. Mm -hmm. So I I get down there and I'm kind of like down below eye level and I'm just waiting and I don't hear anything. Like I don't hear anything run. I don't hear anything blow, nothing. Time goes by and I was like, I got to see what's going on. You know, like like, the big one could be there 25 yards. I don't even know it. So I I slowly, I just kind of like peek through the grass and I'm looking, those little deer are gone. And I look a glass up everything's gone. Nothing's out. And I can see this being field. I can see this being field. I can see the whole woodlot edge. Everything's gone. And that was it. Never saw him again. <laughs> I was there the next day in the tree. I wanted to be in nothing. Nothing came out. Uh... Nothing was there. So I think that they got nervous. I think those deer probably picked up on them and mm-hmm. then they were just gone. And you know how it is, man. There's no, there's no depth of cover for them. They run and it's like, let's get out of this woodlot and go yeah. to that one. And that one is, you know, might be three quarters of a mile, you know, over there. So don't know what happened to that deer. I, I hope he's there next year. Um, but that was one of those, one of those things, man, where it's just like, I felt like that's this, you know, the other way to kill him would have been cool. You know, it would have been cool. Be patient, you know, make the calculated move, the safe move. But I mean, how many chances do you get in a hunting career, like in a spot like this, a deer like that, on unmanaged ground, ground that like anybody could hunt, but no one thinks to, and you find this like special deer and you got him on the ground and you sneak, you can sneak within bow range and, and shoot him from the ground. Like it's, it's what I live for. Like, so you and me both, that one's strong, <laughs> but it didn't, it didn't like take the wind out of my sails. Cause I knew it was a risky move. But the hardest part was um, was just the fact that I was like, God, if I was if I had scanned a little better when I first got there, I would have had more time. I had better wind, higher wind speed. You know, those other deer wouldn't have got up. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. those things right there. Like I was sloppy. I got in there, did a quick once over. And I'm like, all right, I got three hours before anything moves. 
you know, like that's, that was my mentality. I was probably playing on my phone or something. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. stupid. Yeah. So, but if I would have got in there and done like meticulously scanning, I would have seen them instantly. I got the high wind. I could have snuck in there and those, all those other deer would have stayed bedded and I could have got right up on them, mm-hmm. you know? So mistakes like that, like dumb, like, you know, beginner mistakes. Yeah. But like you definitely learn from it and like, it just makes you that much sharper. I mean, as frustrating as it is and as much as you, you can beat yourself up over it and say, oh, beginner, you know, it's just like at the same time, it's not beginner to make the decision, in my opinion, to go for it. And, and I couldn't agree more with, you know, how many opportunities do you get to try to pull something off like that? And like, on the other hand, how many opportunities or how many times, again, do you hear that story of like, well, I saw him out there, but you know, just didn't do it. You know, just, he never came my way. And it's like, Oh, it just, I mean, really about, there's very few situations in which I won't try to push it. I mean, Actually, one of the few, it's ironic I keep bringing it up. It's actually a story, though, in general I bring up because I think about it so much, is that bow behind me one. That was a rare situation in which a buck's cruising. He was alone. It was like, I can't really get much closer because it was in that uh, heat wave of 2020 when it was getting so brutal hot and the leaves were, like, stacked, you know, that tall of just the crunchiest leaves you could dream of. But, you know, just on on the fly thinking like well rattling could work you know it's going to be loud enough so mm-hmm. but i love pushing it i love trying to get deer in close to the bow and stalking them in their beds there's nothing like they're so vulnerable at that time whether it's early season or late season but especially when they're with a doe you know it's like if they're with a doe oh, man like there's about no reason in my opinion no. in, in which you shouldn't go towards them like that's my favorite yeah. situation i i mean by all means like get after them in those situations and also too you know if i could have every deer that i shoot from now until the time i hang it up or i'm dead be bedded bucks stalks or you know getting in there calling to them and them coming in inside of 15 yards quarter and two head on whatever like that that's why i like elk hunting (laughs) it's like you you get in there and you're bugling to him and he comes in head on like looking for you that's just pure fun right there and i just yeah i don't know i just don't get that from like waiting around you know and that's why i always like to push it even calm conditions and I guess one of the things that, uh, you know, I I tossed around a lot when I first started the ground hunting thing was like, well, you know, it probably does make more sense to get into a tree stand at this point or with these conditions. But I was like, if I really want to get better at this and it's something that I really want to, you know, try to do as much as I can, which is, is a goal of mine. It's like, I'm going to have to learn how to do it when the conditions suck for it. So, you know, I found advantages to those calm days or, you know, the really any condition list that you can come up with. I've tried to pick a little strength that I can take advantage of on my end and a weakness that they have on their end. And just, Mm -hmm. but that kind of goes both ways too, because it's like, for example, on that calm, crunchy day his advantage is that can he he can hear a lot 
but it's also can be his disadvantage as well. And I, that, I, I just love that. And I don't get it from hunting in any other way other than on the ground, man, right with him. It's just, mm-hmm. I just love that. Literally yeah, there's a art. live for it. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm with you, man. There's a, there's an art to, uh, you know, when you're kind of hunting on the ground and you're kind of doing that, like slip hunting, um, kind of sneaking through there, there's a, there's an art, like, you know, where you kind of get, you can get in these situations where you definitely can go too far when the situation is just like, it, it just, it just isn't going to happen. Like, you know, maybe the cover or the, like you said, the noise or whatever, there can be these, these moments where if you keep going, if you keep sneaking through or stalking, you're gonna, you're gonna do it until failure. So there's often, I find myself, you come to a spot where you have to make a decision to, I'm either, you know, if I go any further, I'm I'm more likely going to blow this opportunity up or I'm going to sneak in as close as I can to where, you know, I think this deer is or where I know this deer is. If it's like out West, you actually got a visual and get to where you know you can get and then kind of let, let things happen and let him make a mistake. You know, there's, there's an art there and, you know, sometimes I struggle with that, but I'm getting better at that. Just kind of knowing like, yeah, I think I can pull off some, I can pull off some things, you know, I can be sneaky, even as big as I am, I, I can be sneaky and I can crawl a long ways on the ground and I can be super quiet, but there's, there's times where I just have to tell myself, like, you know, I'm looking around at every option. It's just like, it just can't be done. You know, it cannot be done. It's just not, this is the way I'm going to kill him. And it's hard to pull back sometimes. Cause yeah. like, I want to, you know, I want to do it or I, I just want to try it and see, yeah. but you know, there's most of the time where I feel like, you know, that the, the, the chances, the percentage wise is, is really low. It's like, I almost always fail, you know, <laughs> but if it's like, if I feel like if it's above like a certain amount, like if it's above 50%, like I feel like, all right, I can pull this off. Yeah. If I do everything right. Maybe a few things go in my favor, like I can pull this off. And then you, the rare one where you get is like he's in the perfect spot, has no idea you're there. You can maintain a visual, and it's just like I just got to get there and make the shot. You know? Yeah, yeah. The one, the one that sticks out to me that was just super high odds that I have had recently was a buck that I shot with Jake in North Dakota. It's like spotted him. He was below mm-hmm. us. We could pinpoint exactly where he was. And while we couldn't keep the visual, once we got down there the conditions were so perfect. I mean, just a straight line wind right in our face the entire time. So it's like, as long as you're not just being a total bonehead, like you should be able to pull this off. And dude, I went into a, a, a weird place when that was going down. There's, I, I left it in, in the video on purpose and I don't, I don't know if anybody would ever really understand what I'm even trying to say, but I left it in there on purpose where on my wireless mic, you hear me go, and it's just me like being like, all right, you're going to put your body through hell to kill this thing. No matter what's down there on that ground, you're crawling through it. And like, you're going to get him. You have to get this one because mm-hmm. it's too good to be true. You're not going to get a whole lot of chances with a buck like this in a spot like that with a wind that, like this. Like there could be 10 more days in a row where you don't even have a wind that blows that hard, let alone that consistently perfectly in your favor, you know? It's just, right. I love situations like that. And when you get those, 
like you said, those rare situations, you got to just buckle down and take advantage of it. And things, things generally work out if you stay focused, but it's hard. I mean, it's a funny deal. I'm terrible with focus, man. Like put me in like a room and say, you know, fill out this, you know, math homework. I'm going to have a heck of a time doing that. Or mm-hmm. sit in a tree stand and try not to move. I'm going to have a heck of a time doing that. But put like a buck bedded in a spot and say, take, you know, however long it takes to get there, he'll be there when you get to that spot. And it's like, for whatever reason, I can do that. And it's, I could do it with playing yeah. sports too. It's like playing sports and, and, you know, being on the move while hunting, I feel like I can do well. But pretty much everything else, I lose focus quickly. <laughs> That's the, that's uh that's that's funny you say that because i think i have a little bit of like add myself um, i absolutely just, do I, you know, <laughs> kind of the, the busy life that i have and all this stuff going on and multiple jobs and getting my daughter here and getting out of there worry about this trying to get out hunting worry about you know my significant other and what we got going on it's like it's like all this stuff that's always doing this and even when i'm in a tree I have a hard time shutting that off. Mm-hmm. You know, I really, really do. But like when I, when I am on the ground with an antelope or a mule deer or a whitetail and I am like, I go in that mode where it's like, I'm going in now. It's the only time in my whole life where I am completely zoned in on this one thing, completely focused. And I'm not thinking about anything else. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I can get that with shooting my bow. But even that's hard because I'm, I'm home, you know, and I'm, I'm thinking about all this stuff that, you know, where do I need to be in 30 minutes or this needs to be done or I should be doing this. But like, that's like the only thing. So that's why I think why I crave it so much, why I love going out West so much. Um, my whitetail hunting has taken a huge, taken a huge hit um, because I'm, I'm pushing myself out West more and more because I'm, I'm just in search for that that feeling and those moments, like I just want those moments over and over, you know, it's just the best feeling, dude. It's just like, there's nothing else, nothing else exists except that animal and you, and you have to take all these, like these, these perfect steps and these perfect movements and, and be in tune with everything that's going on, the wind, the noise of your, your, the way you place your foot, the other animals that might be over here that you have to stay hidden from. And it's like, you know, it can get so, it can get so technical and you got to be so involved and so focused to get it done. I just, I just love that, man. Yeah. It's just like, I escape into that moment. It's like, I just, I want to be there all the time. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. I think that it is something special and until, you know, and it can, I feel like with other people, it's something else, right? Like there was, there have been a, a couple other things, but it was pretty much baseball and football right it's like playing a sport being active i can do it but otherwise it's really hard for me to turn turn my mind off too and i just get all scatterbrained but it's like you find that focus and there's it's satisfying it just feels good it's like man i don't care about anything else you're stress-free just completely stress-free which sounds weird because it's like you know you like if you mess it up it's like you feel like it's a big deal later, but in the moment you just, yeah, you don't worry. I, I feel like I don't worry about anything. It's just like, whatever, here we go. This is what, this is what I showed up to do in the first place. So let's, let's do it. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. All right, Absolutely. man. Well, hey, let's wrap let's wrap it up. I feel like uh, you know, we could probably sit here and talk probably for another four or five days if we wanted to, but yeah. pr- appreciate you coming on and yeah. Thanks for everybody for listening to Andy and Zach talking about all kinds of hunting related topics. We got pretty deep there for a while. <laughs> yeah. hey, can I mention something real yeah, quick? Yeah, absolutely. I was gonna say mention mention uh yeah. yeah, whatever you want. Yeah, um so I've been doing a little bit of uh a little bit of content over at uh Hunt Better. It's a new new platform. Um you can find it on Instagram. Um but the reason I uh think this is cool and you're actually gonna be a guest on there. So yeah. Um which I'm stoked. <laughs> Yeah, you're the perfect guy to have on there. Um, So we really want to, um, you know, the goal over there is to really stress um, woodsmanship, you know, and and really kind of put a focus on that and kind of we want to help preserve that culture of woodsmanship because I feel like, and I think a lot of people are feeling this way, we are very, very, in some aspects of hunting, very far removed of what hunting used to be. Um, it's becoming a whole different thing with some of these technologies and some of these methods. And um, honestly, um, a, a big a big part of that makes me, it makes me sad. Um, and, you know, I'm not, I've, I've never really produced much content. I'm, I'm very, I'm kind of a private guy, um, a really an introvert, but when I was presented with this opportunity I was like, man, that's, that's something worth helping out and, and doing something for. So, um, it's, it's awesome. Um, part of the, it, it is a, a subscription based type deal, but what you, the guests that we have on there are all what I consider woodsmen, you know, like they, they stress woodsmanship. That doesn't mean they don't use technology, but they are, they're, their base is, is scouting and woodsmanship. You know, you got guys like, like you, like Jared Scheffler, like Steve shirt, like woodsman, you know, guys that can go out there and go anywhere and, uh, you know, and be good hunters, good, effective hunters. Um, and, and one of the, um, things you get to do is when you're on there, this is going to be a live talk. You know, those people get to come on and, and ask questions that they've always wanted to ask Zach Farrenball or ask Aaron Warburton or ask Steve Shirk or me, or there's going to be all kinds of guys. Um, I mean, the one we just had with Jared Scheffler was just, it was unreal. Like, I mean, he, talking about things that you've never heard him talk about. Um, and it was super cool. And one of the things that I'm helping out with that I was, that I think is probably the best learning tool. And actually you guys do a really good job at this at THP, but like, we call it break down the hunt, but we're, we're highlighting like certain hunts, um, of bucks. Like I've done a couple, Garrett Prawl's done a couple, Jared Schaefer's done a couple. We got other guys that are, that are going to do them, but it's like highlighting a hunt for a, you know, a mature deer, but it's going to be a deep dive into the tactics used, the decisions made, why they were made. They're going to show the map, the way the buck was moving, where the way we moved, where we set up, um, and these, I've, I've watched them all and they are just, they're the best learning tool out there. I mean, they are hands down. It's not just a, a show. It's, it's fact, it's very little a show. There might be some B-roll. It's more of the why 
and the how of it happened and, and really explaining it and like the key takeaways of the hunt. And it's such a cool, it's such a cool thing. And like, I've, I've really enjoyed like kind of reliving my hunts and, and going that and, you know, Garrett is putting those together. And then the other thing that's on there is called field guide, which is, you know, I'm contributing, um, Garrett, Jared Schaefer, Rendell, Eric, Steve Shirk, Nathan Killen, like all woodsmen, right? Guys that have been doing this a long time. And they are, um, we're, we're documenting like little short videos. It could be us scouting. You know, when we find something like that we think is a good learning opportunity or what we look for or, or something that's of interest, we're just doing a little quick 30 second to three minute video documenting like the process, the process mm -hmm. of scouting. For me, I've been doing a lot of archery stuff. So I got like, you know, broadhead tuning stuff, how I build my arrows, how I like to tune my bow, my practice routine, how often I practice, um, why I do these certain drills because they help keep certain bad habits away. And all the guys are kind of doing little things like that. So it's, it's a really neat way to like, you know, follow like some of these hunters around and, and, uh, be able to see kind of their, their process, not just the scouting process, but their hunting process, their, their archery practice. I mean, some guys don't practice archery at all. And then you got guys like me that have shot like every day for 60 days, you know yeah. what I mean? So it's, we're all over the board, and, uh -huh. but that's what makes it interesting. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's, it's really cool. So, um, yeah, go over there and check it out. And, uh, there's going to be some free stuff too. So, um, I don't know. It's, it's kind of cool. I think the, the message of preserving that hunting culture is it's an important one, man, because we're, we're losing, we're losing it. Um, and I don't know, I think, you know, hunting is like, I feel like probably a lot of people that, have, that have hunted for a long time, um, as corny as it sounds like hunting is given so much to me. It's given me direction. It's given me something that, that I'm passionate about that actually drives me to be good at something. There's not much else. There never really was much else out there other than football. And that didn't last long. Yeah. Um, but this really gives me, it's given me a lot. And I think any veteran that's been doing this a long time, you, you kind of just like, you appreciate that. And you like, you know, what can I do? You know, what can I do to like preserve this or give back or, you know, maintain what we love mm -hmm. um, and seeing the way things are going out there with, um, just some of these tactics and, and, uh, technologies and stuff. Um, I don't want to get too far away from woodsmanship that we don't even know what it is anymore. Mm -hmm. I mean, listen to 90% of the, the hunting stories anymore. And, um, most of them involve some sort of cell camera or, you know, or, or something like that, or some, some redneck blind, you know, right down a food plot or, or, bait piles and cell cameras and stuff and it's just like man and and i want everyone to hunt the way they want to hunt mm -hmm. and if it's legal and i see guys doing that and, and i see those guys and i'm happy for those guys and, and some of their dedication and work is is truly impressive but i just don't want to lose what hunting is mm -hmm. what it was mm -hmm. and uh and, and deep down like what i really think it should be you know like you yep. cannot lose we cannot lose the, the culture of woodsmanship in hunting because then it's just, it becomes something totally different. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I couldn't agree so. more, man. I think that's awesome. I think that it's something that I think about 
all the time. Actually, just did a podcast with Mark Kenyon about live stream cameras and ultimately just yeah. you know that technology in general. And I think that it's scary, man. It's yeah. scary stuff. It's definitely scary, and you're walking through some public land, and everywhere you look, there's cell cams lying the ridges. It's like Where's, what's that going to look like in another 10, 20 years? And I mean, without opening up a whole can of worms, it it's just like that. that's something that I feel, you know, especially for, like you said, young hunters, it's how do you get the same thing out of it that, you know, we got for those of us that started before those things even existed, you know? And mm-hmm. I just, yeah, I, I, I really appreciate that type of conversation in general and, keeping the woodsmanship yeah. alive is what that's what drives me at the end of the day is like i never know what's around that corner and it's it's what keeps me moving you know so it keeps me interested mm-hmm. and i think that yeah I, I also like what you said about like giving you like a purpose in life because absolutely hunting i mean the reason that i take care of myself by trying to eat healthy working out uh you know, just in general, like taking care of myself isn't because of anything other than I want to maximize, you know, how effective I can potentially be out there. Like the harder I work at that. So it's like, it's literally changed my life. I mean, I know that sounds, it sounds silly, but it's like, if I didn't hunt, I don't know what I would be doing, but it certainly wouldn't be what I'm doing right now, you know? So, yeah, I'm the same way, man. Like I, you know, (laughs) Like back in my twenties, you know, I used to like I, I go to the gym um several times a week. Like back in my twenties, it was like, oh man, how much can I lift and do all this stuff? Well, now everything is about mobility and yeah. flexibility. And I'm I'm working my hips and I'm trying to maintain like good back strength so that like when I'm out west and in the mountains, like I'm strong and I'm mm-hmm. effective. Like I'm the same way, man. My whole reason for trying to eat healthy and trying to get to the gym every day is is one for the mental discipline. I feel like it makes me mentally tough. If I could mm-hmm. push myself to get up at five in the clock, five o'clock every morning, go to the gym. Half the time, I do not want to go. <laughs> but I get this routine of like forcing myself to go. Then when I'm like, you know, I'm in the rubies in Nevada and it's like day five and I'm like, yeah, like this is killing me. Like I got to go up, you know, 2,000 feet, 1,500 feet or whatever, or go down 1,000 feet to get water just to come back up. Like, I can do it because like I've forced myself to do stuff I haven't want to, I didn't want to do so many times. It's just like another thing. So it makes that, that mental toughness, but like I have bad knees. I got arthritis in my knees, my back. I have degenerative uh, discs. So like I have to maintain like all this core strength and flexibility so that I'm even effective out there. So like every day that's the stuff I'm working on anymore. Dude, so I, I, you know? I feel like we ought to just, do a whole podcast on that at some point. I feel like we could talk about just keeping your body, you know, healthy. Because it, I mean, it is important. If if you ask me, if you're if you're seriously passionate about it, I think that. I mean, honestly, if you're passionate about being alive and having a quality, good quality life, I mean, you know, it's a certain amount of movement. <laughs> it's important to maintain that, and whether it's hunting or just, you know being happy walking through your house, I guess, I'm sure. <laughs> but I just think that, you know, it's things that, uh, I don't know. I definitely didn't do a very good job of when I was in my early 20s. I was about 
you know, tw- mid twenties, I started being like, all right, you gotta start making some changes. Mm-hmm. I've made some serious like life changes, but I'm happy with them all. Cause ultimately it's like, I feel better. And I'm happy and I'm able to do the things that I like to do. And I hope, you know, I hope I can still do them as well as my dad can do them. Cause he's 57 and still getting around pretty well. And it's like inspiring and motivating and yeah, it's cool. So anyway, cool. all right, everybody. Awesome, buddy. Well, thanks for listening. And, uh, Yeah, we'll catch everybody listening on the next one. All right. Thanks, guys.